What's going on? Asymmetry at Austin Heitzman in the house. He's given me the evil eye from across the room as I speak. Now it's always good to catch up with Austin and kind of learn what it's been like for, for him and his experience during these unprecedented times. But I think more than that, uh, finding out about the new projects he's working on. And I think some innovative things that have the potential to dramatically shift our perspective of what the stands function is inside of bonsai. And, uh, I've seen some of the work. I've seen pictures of some of the work. We've got some of his new work at Mirai that he brought up and it is absolutely fascinating, stunning, always wonderful, always enlightening to sit down and talk with Austin. He's a good friend, uh, obviously a collaborator that I've worked very closely with. And, uh, and every time we get to sit down and share the mic, uh, something positive comes from it. Two good friends chatting, lots of bullshit in this one. So pr be prepared. But if you need something to pass the time, there are some gems in here as well. And just a lot of friendly banter back and forth and uh, trying to figure out life when there is no answer. Enjoy. Hey, so I saw you were selling, uh, Kits? Yeah, it's kind of I came up with this is this is like a technology. This is like something that could only happen today. Came up with the idea at lunch yesterday. Did a photo shoot with my phone, mm. posted it on my website, and had three sales by end of day on that. that sounds awesome. That was I was like, holy fuck. Uh -huh. Like only today. Welcome Could you even like conceive of pulling that off? Yeah, you know? welcome to the modern world. I know. Yeah. Like, I hate technology, but I had to like kind of tip my hat to it a little bit. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> it's like, thank you. Yeah, like when <laughs> else you. can you do that? You know, like generally yeah. speaking, to like roll out a new thing in you know basically the course of three hours and make sales on it. Like, no way. In yeah. How could you do that five years ago? Yeah. 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 Ten years ago. I mean, for for furniture makers obviously your wife is a jewelry maker this thing has just been a big punch in the gut big kick to the balls yeah yeah it has mm -hmm. i mean it's not you have to rethink all i mean we're predominantly art fair show in person and that's like vaccine stuff at this point like that's yeah. so totally out the window i mean phase nothing like you know yeah last in line and uh, all the support structures of just kind of we're like this big hole yeah that hasn't touched us just kind of like on our own yeah which like, good luck you chose you chose to be yeah. an artist you chose to be on your own uh -huh. you're on your fucking own and and how does it feel yeah yeah, yeah. Cheers that to sucks. you, you that know? sucks so it's been stressful we're kind of like at that point of learned helplessness where it's just kind of like, I think at this point it's all accepted. Mm -hmm. There's no new news. You know, at first you're like glued to the TV waiting for that, like yeah. magic bullet that's going to change the situation. It's not changing. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of resigned to it. I'm saying that too, as I've got a backlog of work. So it's really easy to be at peace with a situation when you have a lineup of work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Go back in three months when I'm done with all this and sure. I'll tell you how I feel. I don't know. Three months that maybe things will be better. Oh, three months is like seven years at this point. You yeah. know, like yeah. three months. God only knows. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like it could go so many different ways in three months. I hope it goes in a good way. Me too. Yeah. I really hope it goes <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> It's time. Uh, it's time to go. It's yeah. time for positivity to sweep across the globe. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of that. Ooh. So, you know, it's been been tough. I held I I we do that art in the pearl show. Mm -hmm. And so we got a hand of putting that on. And that's in September. And I fought so hard to just like let that hang. 
you know, just let it hang out there. Like, why yeah. do we need to contribute to the noise? People are getting notices about everything under the sun. Yeah. You know, like, you know, Crate and Barrel is sending me emails about their COVID procedures. I, I mean, it's just like all these emails. And so why do we need to, like, just, we got time. Let's keep our time. But they made a knee jerk and canceled that two weeks ago. And that was kind of the last. And, and it was one. in, it's in September. Yeah. It's Labor Day. <sighs> How do you make that decision so far in advance? I mean, any sense, man. Yeah, I mean, in all logical, it was hopeful to think, you know, it's optimistic to call that going to, I mean, more than likely that's not, I mean, you know. But then at the same time, like, there was not, there was no gun to our head saying we have to cancel. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think any of the artists are going to care if we say, hey, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out in August. And... We'll leave you hanging till then. I think they'll be like, fine, mm. leave me hanging because what else am I going to do? It's not like they're going to go do some other show. Yeah, right. This is what I do. Yeah. It's like nothing else is happening. So if we're tentative, then who cares? You right, know, like right, when right, there's right. a busy season ahead, people need to know so they can schedule. Right. But when there's nothing, what's it matter? It is what it is. You yeah. know, that was kind of my argument on the whole thing. It's like, yeah, the chances are slim to none. Yeah. But... You know, what happens if a vaccine comes out on August 34, you know, 31st? Yep. You know, if you're set up to do it, you can pivot and you can make something happen. Yep. If you can't, if you drop it, then you're done. Yeah. You know? And they were just like, no. They were like, no. That's interesting. They kind of, they did a a fast one. I wasn't extremely, because we had voted on the board to wait till June. Mm-hmm. to postpone that decision till June. And then Kate Brown came out with the guidances and they were just shut it down in a weekend you know, two days before a board meeting. And I was kind of like, couldn't wait the two days to get us together, you know, and talk about this. Yeah, that's interesting. So, and that was kind of, actually, though, it was kind of freeing because when you lose that that hope, that little carrot out there, yeah. then suddenly you can kind of just, I don't know, it's like you can deal with it all maybe, of a sudden. I mean, maybe that's why they did it. Yeah. Just so people had clarity and they could plan and strategize and move forward. Yeah, it's like there, that- there is a there is a a lack of comfort and capacity to move on if you're always thinking like, is it gonna happen? Yeah, I, I, like- I feel like this I feel like this with the national show. Yeah. For sure. I mean and, and I hope the national show happens. I yeah. really, really hope Fingers. that it happens. I think that it from from what I gather, and I don't I'm not I don't really exist on social media or in the current uh sort of awareness of what's going on as far as i know i think they're still planning on having it i have i mean i'm signed up to vend Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. and so i would imagine that if there was any talk of cancellation they would communicate that to their vendors yeah you as well i would imagine would hear yeah i would hope so and i've heard nothing either way Mm -hmm. i think bill's taking the tack that i was hoping to take where it's we have time Let's just hope and see, you know, and and play that card in July mm-hmm. when it's actually you have a reasonable idea of what situation sure. you're going to be yeah. facing, you know. Yeah. Come September, you know. Have you got, been to the national show? I've never been. This Oof. was going to be my big coming out year, you know. Like, whoops. <gasps> hi everybody, I'm Austin. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Nobody's here. Hi, does Wait, it, where'd like, everybody go? Me, yeah, me right. and Ash, me and Ash both were like gonna really get out this year. She was gonna try and do shows more nationally instead of just locally, you uh-huh. know. And she got accepted into every freaking show in the country. All the big names, all the ones that are impossible to jury into. She got them all. No kidding. Yeah, she was gonna be in Spokane next weekend. You know, she was already. I mean, she was in Phoenix like 
the weekend it all hit the fan. What was that, like March 15th or whatever? She went to a show in Phoenix that canceled three hours before the show started. Was it really March 15th? Is that when it was? Yeah, somewhere around there. God, it's already June. When is it June 1st? Is today June 1st? No, June 1st is Monday. Monday. That's Cooper's birthday. Not you, <sighs> Cooper. <laughs> Maybe it is. Not when our is your Cooper, birthday? your Cooper. No way. Oh. Are you serious? Wow. Well, it's a good thing you're Jewish. Cooper's birthday. Cooper just informed <laughs> us his birthday's on Christmas, which is a yeah. They can't just hear you, a de- can That's they? devastating as a kid. You never. Yeah. Ugh, yikes. My birthday's two days after my son. That's kind of like having your birthday on Christmas. It's just been eradicated. Except I got what was it? Thirty-five years of my birthday before it ended. I'd be like, you know, mm-hmm. having Christmas switch there at the last second. Yeah, my birthday's a day after my son's. Yeah, nobody's asking <laughs> me what I, I want for I my birthday. I don't mattering. Yeah, we got big plans for Coop, but yeah, nobody cares what I'm oh, doing. Oh, Austin, happy birthday, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. My birthday stopped mattering when I went to Japan, so <laughs> I was acclimated to you, it you already. You stopped mattering when you went to Japan. <laughs> Pretty much, some yeah. Sense of the word. Yeah, Ryan doesn't mean, being Ryan doesn't mean anything. Yeah. He's just putty now. Just basically, you're, uh, you are a uh, somebody who provides labor to... Mr. Kimura, which was fine. Yeah. Well, which was, so I knew I was going there to be that. that. I did. Yeah. I asked for it. Yes. You I actually literally it. walked in and I said, can I be that person? And he was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, somebody's got to be my footstool. I'm going to think of you equivalent to a dog. Oh, well, you know, I love my dog. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we all have different relationships with, his, yeah. with dogs. I think <laughs> you might beat his dog and leave him outside, but you know. <laughs> My dog's got a pretty choice place on the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his Russian apprentice, Andre, just finished. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. He's just kind of the international uh, bonsai apprentice man these days, huh? I get it. Well, I, I think all of Japan has had to lean or has opened the door for Is there that much uh, international blood going into the apprenticeship programs in Japan? I think like, so. I mean, if you... Well, there's multiple, there's multiple aspects to that, right? Like... Uh, there's there i don't necessarily know that bonsai is as promising of a future in japan as it used to be yeah so i don't think there's a lot of parents pushing their kids to be bonsai apprentices in japan that's my assumption yeah and then i think the big foreign drive to be there is more people have done it more people have come back more people have explored the models that allow you to be successful there's more foreigners that want to go study in japan and and i also think for japanese professionals it creates a foreign connection and a lot of japanese professionals survive now off of foreign sales foreign students foreign relations as opposed to within japan outside of china too just international sales yeah i and i don't know i don't know to what degree you know each japanese professional looks at how they can potentially utilize that relationship to their benefit but i have to believe that there is and i don't again totally from the outside looking in just observing what's happening and thinking well there's got to be some rhyme or reason well any professional is still in business because they use opportunity to sure. its greatest at you know sure like that's not i mean that's reasonable to assume yeah um i can't imagine what's the russian bones i've seen like i have not heard anything I don't about think, that i don't think it is super evolved but i don't think anybody really knows like there's a polish bones i've seen for sure yeah that i've um yeah i've heard about that yeah um russia does have vast tracts of land i don't know any like what kind of material they can get out there but russia russia in my mind is probably the last 
really unexplored frontier for Yamadori. And when you think about it, the 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 spruce that come from Hokkaido and the northern islands off of the coast of Japan, the the Ezo spruce. Mm. Well, when you look at how close in proximity yeah. those islands of Russia are to um, that same latitude and just the massive expanse of land that exists there, it's it's pretty serious. Yeah, I imagine so. So, is there a lot of uh, species in you know that are indicative of Japan that also exist in that kind of Russia? I don't know. Like I don't. Much? I don't know. I've always wondered this. I've yeah. always been curious about it. There's nobody out there. My dad, uh, my dad's best friend when I was a kid, would take uh, hunting. He was a hunting outfitter, and he would take uh, hunters to Russia to hunt bear. Oh wow! Okay. And they dropped. They dropped him and his the people that he was guiding out in the middle of freaking, and I'm talking like middle of nowhere. Well, that's pretty easy to do out that side of Russia. Once like, you get into that ex- expansive wilderness and you, and if they died, they died. Really? Oh, there's nobody out there to help them. Well, yeah, I know that I, plane. They don't, they can't call that plane back. Like yeah. they're supposed to meet them on a day on a, at a time in a place. And if you're not there, plane leaves. I just think of the consent forms I have for a woodworking <laughs> class. I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, for that kind of operation. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. He said it was crazy. He said it was super crazy. I can imagine, which I don't know, like the whole, I mean, this is again too from the outside in, but it, it seems like the, the Russian culture is kind of like hinged around a little bit of insanity. Hardcore. They, they yeah. seem to really thrive on that. It's like their idea. Yeah, like I, I think the outskirts and the really untapped wilderness people but you could see the same thing in alaska if you wanted to yeah i mean well, know, they're, like, they're crazy too and I some mean, of the northern canadian yeah uh, i think you have to be crazy to live in that kind of environment for sure you know for sure especially from uh like you know a city perspective an urban perspective you yeah. know you're, you're total batshit when you're you know that out in the boonies yeah living in moscow thinking about the tundra yeah i know <laughs> it's like it's just not and then there's the, no quantifiable relation I've to been, the mentality of those two places at least i wouldn't think so i've been on this really like instagram assisted rabbit hole lately where like somebody came up with they, they've been like there's this this site that takes maps and they take them out of the you know when you take a globe and you stretch it out it distorts the upper and right. lower regions right and so they've been taking countries and size comparing the the globe um, outside like of in truce in true the, the truth sizes yeah okay. and they've been doing a lot of them you know i've seen some doing them on the united states so i have this frame of reference because like if you put albania on on stop on top of kajekistan i don't know I sure mean, yeah one no could be bigger than the other but that means nothing to me but like you know seeing brazil on america it's like i had no idea brazil's big Brazil's really fucking big. Is I it? Mean, it is basically the size of us. No. Yeah. I mean, totally. Like, really? Yeah. It's like, and they talk about these vast tracts of Amazonia. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sure that's big for, for that part. And I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, no, that's big. You know, like the entire Western United States could be technically uh, Amazonia, you know? No kidding. And then I they didn't put realize Russia that. Russia on top of that, uh, the US. And it's just like dwarfs us, you know, like hangs off both sides. And totally fills up the middle, you know? Wow. And just so, I mean, it's just like you think of the size. Like driving across America is is a feat in insanity as well. I mean, that's a long trip. You know, planning to do it for the national if it happens. And yeah. I'm just dreading it, thinking, God, you know, that's a long trip. Oh, it's the best. And if you could imagine doing that twice, you know, just to get across Russia. Yeah. And then another one, they did Chile. 
on America. And Chile went from like Canada to almost Mexico, you know, to Mexico. Like it's just like this skinny little thing, wow. but it's as long as we are, you know, tall, you know. It was really cool oh, to see damn. all these places that you never thought of as large. Yeah. Especially the African nations. Africa really gets uh gets the the shit end of the stick. Uh-huh. Um is it bigger? It's way bigger. Oh, than the way United bigger. States. Way all of these, like the you know, like Congo and things, you know, are like you basically like top to bottom the size of America. You know, a little wow. narrower because they're more you know square. Yeah. Than we are long, but all these African nations that I never thought of being that big are really huge. It's huh. kind of amazing to see that. Where do I find this? I just it was one of those things on Instagram where you like see one on your the search. Yeah. And uh, and then they just start throwing a million at you because you keep looking at them. Yeah, right. Things you're you know? interested in. Yeah, I think it might have <laughs> been like Maps and More was the one that started gotcha. it. And then now half of my feed is just Maps, you know? I got I to gotta check this out. I'm it's, so, it's, I've, I clearly am ignorant. I've always thought, I always thought India was, was like uh, one of the larger. It's big. I mean, yeah. it's not small. You know, all of these, well, pretty much anything in the middle that you always thought of is kind of like, eh. Is actually really big. Is actually big. And Canada's not all that impressive, you know. Like, it's not yeah small, but it's, it's like the top hat on a human, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like the size of the United States, maybe a little bit smaller, even, you know. Yeah, because it gets kind of spread out. Oh, east to west has the same distance, yeah, right? Yeah, east to west has the yeah. same, and it's about as tall. But it's definitely not this like you know, in Greenland isn't, or uh, Iceland isn't like what we th- I think of Iceland as this like dominating force, uh-huh. and it's really not that way. Huh. In reality, I gotta get perspective here. I know it's I really kind of it. it's really kind of it. given a. So if you look at a globe, are the size of these continents on a globe? Yeah, I guess accurate? a globe is a more accurate. When was the last time you saw a globe? Do we have one in here? I got one in the house for Taft. Oh, see. Yeah, we've been yeah. looking at it, doing a little bit of geography. Yeah, but North you don't Amer- attack it with a ruler, and you don't put one on no, top of no. the other. No, no, you That's can't the overlay them. That's yeah, that comparison to yeah. that is, yeah. is kind of the interesting, interesting. thing. Huh. Oh. Well, we you know what's really shocking got... is how small European countries are. Oh, yeah. They're all small. Like, that's... not even with distortion. That doesn't even help them out. They're... I just, I think that's fascinating, though, from the perspective of how different the cultures, languages, and stuff are in such small land masses. Well, and then as it comes to travel and interaction between, you know, when I was in Europe, you know, I lived there for a year. And, and just the idea of travel from place to place is such a different concept mm-hmm. from here. You know, it's not, you can take public transportation, you know. Yeah. From country to country, easily. Uh, wh- when did you live in Europe? Would have been like 2005, 2006. Were you my... just there traveling, or what no, were you I doing? No, I did my first year of grad school there. Oh, okay. So I got into a good school on the East Coast, but the caveat was I had to do year one in Italy. Wait, which... like, like they're like, you can come here, but you got to do a year in Italy first? Yeah, it's like we have an opening. Somebody in the Italian program dropped. Ah. And they're like, we got this opening. You can have it, but this is the deal. You take this guy's place in Italy. And were you like, okay. Yeah, I was in Texas really looking for an excuse to get out. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, and the problem with that scenario is what? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that sounds terrible. I'll do it. Yeah, I know. It's like, if you twist my arm. Where in Italy? Rome. Mm. Rome for a year. That sounds awesome. It was amazing. It was great. I think Rome is great. Everybody talks about the most common thing that i hear people say about rome is it's crowded it's dirty and the Colosseum is far less spectacular than you think it will be yes my experience with rome is all completely opposite really you didn't yeah. find it crowded or dirty 
No, but I was there in the off season. This is the thing that I've learned about Europe is going in December, January. Mm, yeah. Impeccable. Impeccable. Nobody's there. Things are cheap. Rental cars cheap. You get, I, I, <laughs> I managed to stumble into a seaside villa in Positano on the Amalfi Coast for 80 euro a night. Really? For a seven bedroom mansion that opened up to the ocean and my own private chef. Nice. You had 80, a private chef? I had a private chef. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh my god! <laughs> For three nights, it Italy's was amazing. A place to have a private chef, too. it was amazing. I mean, it you was... go to that place to eat. <sighs> I didn't even know what that meant when I showed up there. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you go to Italy for the food." And I went and got some like cheap takeout pizza at some joints, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's not that great." I don't know what everybody's talking about this food thing, oh, you wow. know? Yeah. And it took me like six months to actually like go to a market and actually like realize because italian it's all about freshness it's all yeah. about seasonality yeah sure it's all about yeah that's a carrot but have you ever had a carrot like that you know right and i was coming from like a mcdonald's perspective right you know and it just didn't yeah. translate for a long time Rome. and then finally all the pieces started to come together how and big I, is rome is rome gigantic like if you had to compare rome to a city in the united states in terms of relative size c capacity to get around etc what could it compare to philadelphia maybe yeah i was i mean it, it's different though and it's different in that european kind of way sure. i mean rome i remember going i, I took like because i was there and as a grad student our responsibility was to kind of we would get when the undergrads would come in in the beginning of each semester you would be given a group for orientation and you had to to do something for a day with them and they really left it up to you you know mm -hmm. they're like here's your group of undergrads are these foreign undergrads they're all american for okay. the most part it was an american school it was um not exclusive like it was temple university was the school okay um but kids from other schools would come to the temple program mm -hmm. if their schools didn't necessarily have a uh, a program in rome and know? what were you studying at this time drawing and painting drawing and painting okay cool yeah, it's a very practical thing for, uh. especially seeing where i went with that yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> it all came together and i never made a painting while i was there um but i took them all on the subway wait what the, did you do for a year uh i did more sculptural stuff okay i was i deep fried a bunch of uh, pictures stunk up the whole school i had the the people down there in the basement yelling at me for for deep frying these things wait what, why did you deep fry them i i was doing uh like a take on fresco uh -huh. you know when in fresco you put on the wet plaster and you paint into the wet plaster and it kind of is infused okay. into the plaster and so i thought well if i would to deep fry something i could then paint oils into the wet batter and it would be the same as plaster, but just kind of in this obnoxious American. I was going through my obnoxious American phase. Yeah, right. Um, it, for me, it was like kind of more of a thing, like growing up overseas, I was trying to kind of adhere myself to an I felt identity less, uh -huh. you know, because I didn't grow up in America. I didn't grow up anywhere. I grew up as an expat, and then I came back to America, but I was an expat yeah. for coming back to something I didn't really belong. I just didn't feel like I belonged to anything. Sure. So I decided I was just going to give myself, I got into the kind of mythology of the West and uh -huh. I was like, well, if they can mythologize these people and create these fictional histories that we even kind of think of as real histories today, um, then I can just kind of mythologize myself into the same role. Um, the unfortunate side was that was the Bush, uh, second Bush era. And um, nobody wanted in Europe to entertain an American trying to mythologize themselves as a Western cowboy um 
<laughs> frying up batter yeah. and trying to paint it, it to like, replace. You know, kind of the pinnacle technique. of the obnoxious American hatred. Maybe not the pinnacle anymore, but you know, it was definitely a crescendo at that time. Right. And I just kind of played completely without thinking right into it and wow. um, set myself up for a little bit of failure socially, you know, in Europe. I didn't get a lot of European girlfriends while i was over there yeah it makes sense you know yeah which that and italian women are, are a little tough they're always on guard um if you've met many italian men it'll explain that yeah um yeah so yeah <laughs> anyway i kind of just stepped in a big pile of shit on that one on my damn, own board damn that's know? a tough run yeah it was so did you have any friends or where was everybody just like that's that dude that's trying to paint on putty yeah well there was a lot of that I mean, I had friend, my you know most of the the grad program we were pretty tight we were all kind of in it together and if anybody's ever been to grad school you don't get out much anyway it's kind of like when you were an apprentice how much free time did you actually go out and enjoy yeah never exactly i mean i got to get drunk with peter quite a bit yeah well i mean we would you know party in the studio yeah. late night yeah you know, absolutely and come home to our apartments and go to bed and, and wake up and go back into school yikes so you were in rome but you didn't really i mean obviously you got to experience rome but you yeah didn't, we got out you didn't live in rome in the way that somebody who wasn't uh trying to actually I invest themselves in their study would live in rome yeah i wasn't like uh you know 18th century european traveler you know spending a year in rome yeah you know and enjoying every i mean i was working wow it was it was fun in that it was a day-to-day i had a you know a commute a work week i felt like i lived there in a way that you don't feel as a tourist yeah how how did you end up in philadelphia and how did you end up at the did you work at the philadelphia museum of art art just to fill how did that all that happen from so you're studying Temple is based in Philadelphia. Okay. So I did my first year in Rome uh-huh. and then came to Philadelphia for year two. Uh-huh. Having never been to Philadelphia, I did the whole school site unseen. They said they wanted me. I said, sure. Then it really, I couldn't put Philadelphia on a map when I, when I first showed up there, mm. you know? And um, yeah, so I did the second year in Elkins Park, technically, which is just north of Philly. Mm. And if anybody's this is been, where Temple University yeah, is. Yeah, okay. the, the Tyler. Well, Temple University is the, the main, and then Tyler School of Art is the art branch. And Tyler School of Art was this kind of, I guess, art country club would be the best way to put it, just north of Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And then the main campus was Center City, Philadelphia. Like, what you think of as Philadelphia, Temple University, main campus, that's that. Tyler was a little bit of a different story. So did you have to attend classes at the main campus and in Tyler, at Tyler? No, no. As okay. a grad student, I had a studio at Tyler, uh-huh. and everything I did was there. And were you drawing and painting at that point yeah, in year two? Yeah, I was still drawing, drawing and painting. So Completely no more. working in wood at that point. I gave up everything. I was working 100% in wood. Wait, you said you were drawing and painting. Yeah. I, I don't. Is this, me, some, is this something that you have to be an art student to understand? Maybe. Because you're saying I'm studying drawing and painting, but I was doing sculpture in Italy and completely working in wood in your second yeah, year. So I just, uh, I'm to confused. Me, to me, art, like art's art, you know, and I was thinking at the time, you know, drawing and painting is kind of the ego of the art world. And to me, that was just kind of an umbrella term that if you were making art, mm. you were painting in a sense of the word, you know, and that it wasn't media specific necessarily. I think modern arts kind of come to that point. They still 
fracture it up and I'd probably have better luck teaching, you know, had I been more stringent with painting because I would have probably had better painting technique and mm-hmm. been a little more desirable as a painting professor Yeah, uh, when I got out. But, you know, I was following my intellectual heart on that one. How did you, so, uh, how did you then end up at the Philadelphia Museum of Art? Uh, when I got out of art school, I got a job doing art handling with a private company um, based out of Maryland, Art Techs, but they had a Philadelphia office. And I loved that was a great job. That was uh, art loved, handling. Yeah. Well, not art handling, that just that company. Uh huh. They were great. I mean, the, our little n- group that we had in Philly, the, the Philly office was really awesome. Mm. And their office was in the remote storage facility for the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So they, uh, the company rented a room in their high security. It was like a James Bond movie. I mean, you'd come in, two security guards, big roll-up doors, massive elevators. You could put a box truck on this elevator and go up and down floors, refrigerated, climate-controlled rooms with coded fingerprint pass thing. You know, wow. double double door you know, full, like, you know, probably 50 by 30 feet roll-up doors that kind of were like, you know, teeth, you know, the bottom and the top lifted. Yeah. It's a really cool facility. Oh, I mean, I guess handling priceless. Yeah. And the roof leaked, obviously, because the roofers screwed up. I mean, the whole while I I was with them for, (laughs) I was with Artex for like a year with the museum for Four years after that, and they never solved that that roofing problem. That the the roofing company had screwed it up, and the lawsuit was like trickling through. But the meanwhile, this like amazing facility with a leaky roof, unbelievable it, it, plastic draped over all the uh, all the racks with all the art on them to, <sighs> to catch the water when it came out. <laughs> Dang, that is so um, unbelievable. But uh, yeah, so I worked with Artex for a spell. And I was working, you know, on jobs with the museum occasionally because they would contract through us. And we mm-hmm. were in the, so I knew some people in the museum. And when a job came available at the time, I saw it as a, as a bump up as, you know, going up the ladder to someplace. And so I jumped on it and got the job, except it didn't really come to much. Mm-hmm. And the good news was that the recession hit like three months after I got that job. And the Artex Philly office folded. Mm. And the museum, they fired my boss, and that was it. So I weathered that storm relatively at, you know, at peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the long run, that was probably a smart move. But and you after, were already into wood at that point. Yeah, I was working wood um, by then. I was doing it just in the studio. The recession was a big driver on that. I was doing sculpture still. Uh-huh. And then when that recession hit, nobody needed an installation sculpture there was no demand galleries wouldn't show you because they knew they weren't going to sell you know before they'd show you maybe they sell maybe they wouldn't they didn't care they had some painters that would make it up the next show you know it wasn't a big deal but afterwards it was like if you're not going to make us money we're not going to talk to you yeah you know and so i had you know two shows worth of work and nothing to do with it and so I wasn't really that driven to make more shit that was just going to sit in my studio indefinitely. Sure. So I started making furniture for my house. I figured I got the space, I got the tools, I'll just do this. And that became this, you know, that path 
has led me here. Was any of the art handling, did you get to handle any woodwork? That oh, ma- yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Philly Museum, that remote facility uh-huh. south, like the actual museum has some nice stuff in it, but most of their collection was kept behind closed doors. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Oh, it was vast. Like, why, why? Why would you take all that and just put it in a closed room somewhere? Like, isn't the purpose of a museum to show it? Yeah. I mean, there's that side of things. But I guess if you have 50 pieces of Chippendale, you put your best five out there. Why would you rotation. even have 50 pieces? People donate. Uh, the museum system's not really set up to purge. It's set up to absorb. The, the process to eliminate a piece from the museum's collection was it was arduous you had to have multiple curators sign off on it if one person said no you couldn't get rid of it mm-hmm. i mean it was a months-long ordeal to dump a piece and probably quite political too very political yeah. it was yeah makes sense i mean it takes 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 and they just store what they don't show you yeah. know and they're significant and they would have cure you know people come in from all over to make visits and, and look at the pieces in storage. And then occasionally they'd do a, a big exhibition of something that hasn't seen the light of day for eons and they would get out and into the main public. Right. But most of it never moved. And so I would go down when I went to the remote facility to pick up some things to bring in for a show, you know, I'd have some time and I'd just go wandering through the racks. Mm. And, you know, as an employee, you had a lot of freedom. And as a handler, you had ultimate freedom to... You, you were allowed to touch things because that was my job. Yeah. And so I could go through and really play with these, you know, everything from Nakashima, modern, all the way down to, you know, 15, 1400s Europe. And, and you can pull them apart and all. It was great. I love that part. Any any particular woodworkers work or period of time have a major impact on you? At that point, I was really into the colonial. Colonial. I thought the colonial was awesome. Yeah. I still do. I love it. Yeah. Um, the West Coast hasn't really the embrace of it that the East Coast does. It's very it's a very East Coast thing, it, isn't it? Totally East Coast yeah. thing. Um here it's it's kind of like being a Texan in Italy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when I came here, I was still obsessed with it and I had to re- kind of manage that and yeah. kind of reinvestigate my own interests and decide how I can translate that for a different audience right because it wasn't as receptive as it needed to be is the making of colonial furniture exponentially harder or more time consumptive or what was it about colonial furniture that you liked that you were drawn to i don't know some about the forms of it that were just really nice i i don't know it was just yeah the, the way it was presented the functionality of it they were very extravagant and and kind of off the wall i mean just the idea of a hidden compartment is really a weird thing you know and Mm -hmm. and that's kind of you know there's all kinds of i mean they were solving problems that we don't have anymore you know you look at a secretary desk from 1774 that's a whole different set of issues than a desk has to be today and i think there was a little bit of fascination it was kind of like looking at another culture at another time oh yeah and just kind of like you could the same way that a a Japanese piece of furniture would fascinate you. It's different. It's new. It, it's solving things in a way that I never thought to solve things. Mm-hmm. And I found that just really kind of cool. Mm. Um, and then the whole, I mean, they're very ornate, very labor intensive, but they would just shit them out. I mean, these guys were so good without power tools. I mean, they would craft these pieces in, at an, an astonishing pace. Mm. By ha- all handwork. All handwork. 
All hand work. <sighs> Completely. Gives me anxiety to think about I know, and, the and kind of time that that, that there was a would show once where they take. had a book that was basically there was a breakdown. Like there was a kind of structured price system where like you it was kind of like going to the auto mechanic now where it's like brakes on you they have it all broken down and it's not your mechanic really making the call it's like you know doing a brake job on a 93 toyota tacoma is this many hours and this much mm-hmm. it's, it's all broken down it's kind of regimented and, and then the furniture was the same way mm. and it was just like and they were all based around a 12-hour work day you know but they'd give you like less than a week for a whole tall boy secretary doors drawers the whole thing carved legs and that was like deemed to work uh, uh, like a week of labor you know oh, shit and paid i don't know what it was at the time 20 bucks or you know whatever yeah right whatever, whatever the price yeah could you could you realistically knowing that they had a week to bang that out could you see yourself being able to turn work at that kind of pace that's incredibly fast even by contemporary standards yeah i mean and time is weird in furniture same with bonsai it's like if you were to, you know, you spend how many years working on a tree, but of those years, how much time do you really spend right. touching that tree? Right. You know, it's very, it's a lot of little moments dissolved over a longer period of time. I glue something up. I have to wait three hours. I'm not working on it for those three hours. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit, you know, and I have to move fast in order to make money even now. But that's with modern machinery. I mean, that's with a domino. Mm-hmm. machine you know i can do my joinery with that and i can you know i can move quick yeah but i think they would be able to keep pace with me with their hand tools wow you know master craft master crafts people they're man just, yeah they were good and they, you know they had this wonderful way of just you know the back of drawers didn't matter like if you didn't see it they didn't care it's not like they like crafted the hell out of these these backs and undersized they would just put scrap pieces as drawer stops like there was just kind of this real realism to it yeah where it was just like oh nobody's gonna see this so let's just get it done practicality there was yeah there's yeah. a real practicality to it i mean everybody nowadays you want to talk about crafting the underside of everything's beautiful right. 360 there's no back you should if you if you turned over a pot the bottom should look as exactly. beautiful yeah, and they had no it. sentiment about that there was no romanticism there about that which was kind of refreshing it was like they were functional <laughs> objects and they had to get done you know and there's just only so many 12 hour days they were getting paid for yeah and then it was just kind of like that was it interesting you know interesting did did you uh did you enjoy handling nakashima's work yeah well, was there anything special about it like if just i'm curious about your opinion of nakashima I mean, Nakashima is a complicated situation to talk. I mean, why? Well, I, it's just, I, I don't know anything about it. That's why I'm curious. I think about anybody this. who's been built up into that kind of like, you know, figure, it's like they're not even a real human anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, so it's like you talk about them. I mean, Nakashima is incredibly important for my work, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, mostly of that was just kind of how you think about material. That was, I think, his big revelation was, you know, he took where it used to be like, oh, there's a knot in this board. We're going to cut out the knot and the board's going to be perfect. The material, the grain's all going to be going the same way. Everything's going to be pristine and wood is going to kind of be the back seat mm-hmm. made out of wood. But it's not supposed to look like it's wood almost, you know. Right. All those colonial carvings, it's not the wood, it's just the material. And you're disguising it. Whereas Nakashima was like, no, this is fucking wood. Mm-hmm. And that's it. 
Yep. You know, <laughs> and everything good and bad about that. And that's that. all we're doing is yeah, wood today. It's just wood, you know? <laughs> and in that, I think, I mean, that's how I have come to think of material yeah. by and large, yeah. you know? And then you can kind of take that mindset and you can plug it into any area. You right. Know? You can do a colonial piece where you think of the wood more as wood than just, you know, material and kind of change how that translates, how that looks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's how I kind of approach furniture mm-hmm. is you know, through his lens of material, um, whether or not I'm doing, you know, replicas of his pieces, you do a slab tabletop, it's going to, obviously that Nakashima reference is going to be strong. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's there even when it's beyond just like, you know, that was he truly the first person to do the live edge? Probably not. He was the first person to really make a thing of it. I think he was the first to really take it and really make, I guess, the first to make a name uh-huh. for himself with it. I don't think Jackson Pollock was the first guy to drip paint, but you yeah. can't think of dripping paint without thinking of Jackson Pollock. Sure. Now, you know, Nakashima may not have been the first one to use a slab, but he was the first to take it out of that kind of rustic, ham-fisted aesthetic and, and make it class. Mm. I think he was the first to do that. I mean, there's probably a million backwoodsmen you know, making the beachside Myrtle live edge stuff you see or whatever, you know, that's not nuanced in that. And I think Nakashima was the first to take the aesthetic of the slab and, and kind of make it work hmm. in that sense. Did you, have you ever been to his home studio? Kind of. Okay. So Chase Rosade as a bonsai uh, practitioner out in, outside of Philadelphia yep. in Pennsylvania. It just so happens his home base is like, I don't know, 10 miles from Nakashima's or something. Real close. They're real close to each other. Mm-hmm. And so one day I went out to Chase's place and then decided I was going to swing by Nakashima while I was out there. And Nakashima Studios open every day of the week, I think, except Saturday or Sunday. And I got there on that one day that they were closed. Mm. So I stood outside the gate of Nakashima's place and I looked in. Had contemplated jumping, and, yeah, right. And, you know, seeing how far I could get. <laughs> um, but that's as close as I ever got. I'll be darned. It's supposed to be awesome, though, you know, because it's still functioning. It's still a business. Yeah, isn't his daughter? Yeah, his daughter operating it. Yeah, operating it, and he has warehouses of slabs. Apparently, like two outbuildings, you know, bigger than yours, filled with slabs. Mm. You know, just incredible material. That, so, that that's obviously been accumulated for a long time yeah accumulated for a long, long time I and mean, he built the whole place he built every building yeah you know yeah and poured con he was an architect in training yeah you know so he built that whole place from the ground up i mean it's really i mean it's so funny because uh yesterday brad clopeville was here who's a architect uh in town and he was saying that uh we were talking about the sort of the the distant view of architecture the grand structure and then the the near view of architecture which is all the details that you engage with as a as a person the door handles the yeah. int- you know all that stuff and he was saying yeah you know like uh most um something about how most furniture makers had no kind of architectural experience and i was like well i thought all the I thought all the mid-century modern furniture makers were architects. And he's like, well, they were very good architects. <laughs> it, <laughs> no was good. Just, it was this funny, like, discussion. And I started thinking about jo- jo- uh, Nakashima. And I was like, well, I wonder if he was 
you know, I don't know if he ever even designed anything architectural. I know he built that no, he that did. curved roof yeah, structure at his house and for, did some really he interesting as stuff. An architect um, for a while before being a furniture maker. Gotcha. He actually lived in India for a spell, I believe, and made like a compound for a religious cult oh. out there that I think he he lived on premises for a while. Don't know how involved he was in the the you know kind of belief system of the yeah the religious thing, um, but he definitely practiced architecture prior to moving to America and into furniture um, hmm. to settle. I think he grew up. He was born. He did the internment camp thing. I think, and then he graduated. Uh, so he was in the United States. He was in the United school. States. Left the United States. Traveled internationally. I think he might have even been through France or something at a point. India, uh -huh. and then came back. And uh, then started getting into furniture at that point. It's fascinating. He lived yeah. a real life. He was an interesting man. I bet he was a good dude. I'm, I get the vibe he was a good dude. I think, yeah. He was I, a, don't, I don't know about that. You I think know, he was but, very Japanese uh -huh. in the sense of authority and his sense of structure. Like, I don't think he was a guy that you wanted to, to mess up around. Like, yeah, I think he let you know. Mm. Um, when you when you weren't doing things right, so he had some shokunin shokunin mentality. Yeah, like I mean, that. I've read Real. that you know his his daughter's running the company, and I think they in his lifetime there were some moments when she may have left briefly because of you know disputes. Tough to work with. Yeah, I think huh. they had their rocky moments. Makes you know? sense. Hey, look, and I think her daughter's husband actually also works for the company too. Um, so there was. Dang. You know, I guess Dang. it wasn't so bad because they both stayed with the company. And they both clearly care about it. Yeah, and they were both now still running it and, you know, in his absence. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think, like, he was very much in charge, mm. put it that way, you know. Did you ever get to get go out and see Wharton Eshrix? Yeah. You I did? Think, yeah, we, oh. went, we did. I did get to go on that little trip. How was that? He was nuts. Yeah. I mean, that guy was a nut job. Yes. It's kind of great, though. It was like his own little, like... To create your world in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do it here to a degree. Yeah. Um, but his was just so confined because it was that house. Yeah. You know, you, you did it. The grounds were not really addressed in any kind of, but that, that his house, his structure to just the minutia was all just these weird little details. It's I mean, like, it's like an abstracted reality, right? It's very, like, I it's, mean, it was, there was trap doors and things that you worked one way and then you lifted up and worked another way and you could access a room that you couldn't previously and then would form a floor again. And, you know, even the kitchen was just like all, it's just over. It was basically what we're all going to be come, you know, September, October, if we can't get out, you know, it's just like, if you were to redesign a home 75,000 times in the course of a lifetime, you know, and then die, and then people could go into that space. I mean, that's exactly what it was. Wow. Was, then, he, was he crazy? Probably. Okay. I mean, I think you have to be to be an artist. Huh. I don't know. Um, I don't think he was clinically crazy, probably. Yeah. I don't think he was uh, diagnosed, I guess would be the word. I want to go to his place so bad. But it's, it's pretty wild. It's a trip. Like, the, just I the mean, books that I've seen about it. It's like, it, it reminds me of what I would consider somebody in Alice in Wonderland. Like once she goes down the rabbit hole and she pops out into, you know, one Wonderland. Uh, and if she were to meet a woodworker there, yeah, that's Wharton Esrick's house in my yeah, mind. There's no dividing line between his art and his house and his life. It's just the whole thing is just kind of blended into <sighs> one thing. 
and it's just it's like walking into somebody's mind you know an eclectic mind at that and it's just i guess i felt like you know the bent wood the bent leg stand that you made for the cascading ponderosa pine yeah I, I felt like that gave me a Wharton Esherick vibe when that you made a that. Wharton Esherick feel. Yeah, well, because every a, single leg's a different shape, but they all work out to yeah, equal a stand. Yeah, has that kind of flow. Yeah, to um, and, and and somehow it works out, and you look at it, and like proportionally, it's right, and 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 size wise, it's functional, and level wise, it suits the purpose, but it's just a little weird. It's unusual. Yeah, and I, I I find a lot of it's very interesting. It's very cerebral work in my mind. Well, it's funny the reaction too that that garners, which is weird. I mean, in bent leg number two, like the the pictures I've put out of it, mm-hmm. get a really strong reaction. Good or good, good. either good or bad. I, I haven't really actually. I mean, not to toot my horn, but I haven't got any bad. Like nobody's been like that's dumb, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is weird because it is odd. You know, it's not. See, I don't think it. I don't think of it as odd. I think of it as intuitively functional. Well, from a, maybe a bonsai perspective, but right. from a furniture perspective, it's not the logical course that, you know, there isn't a it lot would be, of that. It would be a very involved side table. It, it, and it's just there's not a lot of precedent there, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then when you add the edge in the interior of that, that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit of left field. Um, you like number one or number two better? Oh, God, I don't know. Which child do you like more? <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, there's oh, things. Oh, that's intense. That's an intense analogy. Yeah. <laughs> there's things in both I wish I had done differently. Really? And there's things in both that I really am happy I did. Mm-hmm. Um, the live edge in both is extraordinary mm-hmm. and not something you see every day. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I don't know, the first one was like a hell of a find, that live edge. Yeah, that was amazing. But then the second one's like not common either um i feel like the first one was more extravagant and the second one is more worked out how's that well the second one i mean there was what how long has it been since the first one well that was national show 2016 2016 so it has taken me every one of those years to get to that one Mm. the second there's a reason I didn't make the second one in 22017. I wasn't there yet in 2017. I started Wait, on, you were there in 2016 and then you weren't there in 2017. Well, it wasn't that I, I the second one I had to take places that I didn't take the first one to ah. to make it work. Um, I hit some speed bumps. I was doing them tandem. Uh-huh. And the first one got finished. Second one hit some rocky areas and I shelved it. And what are what are what are rocky areas in wood in, in in your profession? I'm curious what that looks like. In bonsai, it'd be like branches die, tree gets yeah. unhealthy, shit goes wrong. Same thing, same thing. But Things, it's already dead. Well, it is dead. But you know, you you're working. You you got limited material. You lose a branch on a tree, you've lost a branch. You can't put a new one on. Gotcha. You can put a new one on there, but there's some skill. Yeah, in there. right. Okay. Fair you enough. Know, you lose. So something happened. You lose a portion of it and you're trying to think something of. gets a little too close the gap you know something's not right you know your things aren't lining up good yeah you got some issues some technical problems so from 2017 to 2020 you were just sitting there like it was in the back of your mind and you're kind of uh marinating 
waiting for the solution to the problem figuring out how the hell do i you know and then there's all the workload on top of that so it's not like every day i'm like well i'm gonna how am i gonna fix that yeah right for three years i thought diligently yeah every day. I know. that was all i did every I minute st- of every day stop making furniture <laughs> entirely waited three years i have to figure out this piece today <laughs> i'm back on the scene and ashley's and like hey this is what happens hey how about life huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> what did it take me? I mean, all those three years to get to a point where it's like, okay, I can fix the issues, I can make this work, and I can make it right, and right. I can, you know, make the it Rona. quality. The Rona gave you the space. Yeah. So. Oh man. It uh, it kind of. It's gave beautiful. Me. It's really impressive. Opening the box for everybody that's listening, you'll be seeing the stand because we're gonna photograph it and put it out there. It's a phenomenal piece the drama in the second one is more than i think the first i i would agree with that black and so. red and just that's always yeah drama. Like, yeah there's a very strong color scheme that's working there yeah which is um you know the interesting part is what do you put on top of something like that i felt like the first one was maybe a little more forgiving in in tree selection i, feel like, sure. I feel like the first one is a little more uh probably a little bit more versatile although it was funky yeah, it's it very takes funky. You needed a funky tree. Tree to dig it. I mean, that juniper that we put on it in the national show in 2016, yeah, that, Randy's juniper, that, that worked. Yeah, that worked works. well. Well, but I don't know if that juniper would work as well. I don't know. I don't know if it would work as well on this one because this one has a little bit more mass, a little bit more weight. There's yeah. less negative space in the deadwood that exists inside of the frame. I feel like the one now demands a stronger material than a ceramic body as the vessel mm. whether it's a stone whether it's a you know yon kulik yeah. whether it's a um, um some sort of other material piece i think then it starts to make a lot more sense i never even considered that intermediary you know there's the tree and there's a stand there's something in the middle yeah um, <laughs> that, that people nobody, seem to care about yeah, nobody but, gives a shit about that yeah, thing right. yeah you know <laughs> Or the people that make them. Yeah, those ceramicists rumbling. Yeah, I know. Those ceramicists. Nobody <laughs> cares about, about you. you. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> oh, that's funny. I just got a text from Ron today. Actually, I haven't heard from him this whole time. I've checked in with him occasionally yeah. over the course of this. Yeah. And, uh, I miss that guy. I do, too. Well, because we were supposed to do the lab. I know. And it just, um, yeah. The thing that bums me most out about I mean, the lab, it's, it's a fun thing to do, the lab. Um, but it's more fun, I think, to hang out with the people. Oh, absolutely. Doing the lab. Absolutely. I mean, for me, that's what it's become. It has truly become kind of like an event. Yeah. We all gather. And the part that just really kills me about it is like the last event was our last event together. This next one, Ron, I last I talked to him, he's just, and he's not, I, you know, he's justified in this time. He just doesn't really see how he's going to make it out here. Yeah. We're going to do it in August one way or the other. Yeah. Um, it would be great to get everybody there. It's going to be a lot easier for us to do that. Sure. Um, but Ron, he's got to get on an airplane across the, like, yeah, across the country, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, he's kind of like, I don't know, you know, nobody yeah. does. Um, yeah. but you know, looking out from here, that's kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know if it's worth it. Not seeming um, likely, is it? Yeah. So, but not having, it's just kind of like all those years, all that, it's just like, you kind of want that period at the end of the sentence, the last hang or Closure. whatever. And it's just like, we already had that, you know? And it's like, I didn't realize at the time and I kind of want to go back there and, and do it again. You know, I, I, I would, well, and we didn't get to see the exhibition at, um, at the, uh, gallery in downtown Seattle. 
yeah. where Jonathan Hogan's work was yeah, being displayed and, and some of those collaborative over. pieces that, that Aaron... I just I didn't have personally I didn't have the time on that last one that I had had on previous I had to get back uh, you know I had, life was happening yeah life was there yeah. and so I had to just dip real early on that whole thing yeah you know me and Ron and and Lime had our kind of the second one. I think it was the second one we had our kind of like boys. Yeah, you guys rocked out yeah we kind of ditched all responsibility and went on a road trip essentially didn't you go to Dan Robinson's place <laughs> yeah we did we did he took us out to lunch at a small craft airport with fried fish and. It was, you know, it was crazy. It was that's, great. We rode on a ferry and, damn it, you know, had a had a real ball of a day. It was great. I haven't done something like that since high school. You I, know, I missed out. I missed we were, out. Yeah, you didn't come damn. along on that. We just no. kind of got like. I had life going too. Yeah, we all dropped it. Somebody <laughs> jeered us into doing it at the reception. The next thing we know, we're on a ferry going to Dan Robinson's. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was a trip. A ferry but, going to Dan Robinson's. That sounds appropriate. It was. We were on a rocket ship headed to Dan Robinson's that's world. Pretty much what it was. That's awesome. Yeah, good for you guys. So yeah, the lab turned out to be a really enjoyable project. It did, and I'm really stoked about my final. Yeah, how'd the concrete go? It worked. It did. It did actually work. The resolution I got. Was, you sent me you sent me that picture and I, it's impressive. It worked, you know, like I and have, you did it on you did it on. Did you live stream? I it? live streamed it first time I ever. How'd did that go? It went. It kind of worked. Wow. Kind of the, the the concrete worked better than the live stream. Okay. I figured out for some reason the reception. Like I had set up this whole. It was raining that day. It was a really nasty day in Portland. Kind of the worst that you know Portland can throw at you in the spring. Mm-hmm. And so I had my tent set up to do it in. I had all my stuff set up. And that was about a foot away from where my cell phone just couldn't manage the reception uh-huh. to do it. And so every time I tried to take the the phone off to like show anything, it cut out. <laughs> like it dropped me. I think twice it just dropped me from reception. Uh-huh. And then I didn't realize I only had an hour of live and it drops you. And so it oh, dropped me at the end of my hour. Was this Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Or? Oh, okay. And so then I had to restart again a fourth time. It was just like, technically, it wow. was a monstrosity. And surprisingly, people actually did stick around for the whole thing. Incredible. Or at least parts of it. People came through. Um, and then there was the whole, like, you know, doing something for the first time, the ship sinking, I'm trying to fill the hole. Yeah. But doing it live and trying to look cool while I do it, uh-huh. you know, like you know what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> this is smooth. This is no problem. This is all going downhill. This concrete does this sometimes. Yeah. It, it, it sometimes it, it no problem. We'll get it. We'll but get then it. it's all done, and it's and you're all, like shit. I know. Inside, you're fucking. <laughs> and then the technical issues and all. Yeah. And then it's all done. It's all encased in wood, and you're like, okay, maybe that worked. How'd that go? <laughs> you know, like, and then how'd you? But you di- you dive into the abyss like this all the time. Well, I, I mean, everybody who's, I mean, I, you have to, don't you? I don't know. I think this is what separates you as a uh, uh, somebody who's chosen the medium of wood versus a furniture maker. You're not because you you engage in furniture making. Yeah, I'm a drawing and painting person. But, but no. you're not a furniture maker. You're a draw, drawing and painting yeah. person. I got, I, <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, I've right? avoided, uh-huh. I've avoided any, any label, I guess, in that sense. No, I just I, think I it... won't be monogamous in uh, my uh, 
by making relationships. Well, it's very fluid. I, I really respect it. I, I think do there's res- a I lot of creativity that. you kind of neglect if you get too wrapped up in what you do and do not do. You know, when you put, then this is all, I mean, my whole life, I mean, as far as art making goes, it's like every time I like finally get up the courage to, to take down a rule, you know, like I decide this is what I do mm-hmm. and I'm doing it and I'm doing different iterations of it. I'm exploring it. But I stay within this framework of this is what I do. And and the second I break down that wall and I explore outside in a realm that's not what I do, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, well, holy shit, I've been missing this all mm-hmm. along. There's like this wealth of creativity comes up and you start making things that you're so much more into than what you thought you were into before. Yeah. I feel like it, I don't know, every time, it's happened several times where it's like, why did I set that rule up? Like, why didn't I stop doing this earlier? You know, right. like, why didn't I try that earlier? Right. And like the concrete stand. I don't know. For me, there is, this was number one. And it has everything that number one comes with. You know, there's issue. It came out good. I'm very happy. And it's yeah. totally going to work. Yeah. You know, but it's number one. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm excited about two, three, four, five, six, seven. And as far as like what it can open up for the art form, you know, suddenly now uh, display is not tethered to a space. Yeah. Display is everywhere. Yeah. Now, you know, like you don't have I like this evolution that's happened in the lab where the stand is now becoming an outdoor piece. Yeah. And this now, had to happen because it's a, you inv- you do invest a lot as a creator making a stand that gets shown once every 4 or 5 years there, for a weekend. Yeah, there and was it's just devastating. no ultimate future there, yeah. you know, like in the tradition of Japan, yeah, that that can exist. But I just in America in the quantity and the economic yeah, scale of the coach, but it was could exist. super limiting in in our kind of culture and perspective, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like now there's a broader range that can come from this. Mm-hmm. You know, people can explore display who never thought it was for them. Yeah, in in a way, you know, a new way, um, and that's cool. I think that's great. I think the more people that can be involved, the better. Um, how are you how are you involving people in that because you're you're making a pretty strong point about maybe discussing some theories around display or strategy around display or opening the box of the concept of the stand for the bonsai presentation that nobody knows what the hell you're talking about that's listening right now as far as I mean, they display didn't. Outdoors yeah, or? getting to see the getting to see the copper shingle tarred stand that is going to exist with the composition that's out there right now, or getting to see this concrete piece and understanding the the methodology and sort of thought process behind it. I mean, I know Aaron and and the lab project are making the film about all of these things, and you've probably talked about it there, but. But there is a there is a an idea that you have created that is very big. It's a very big idea that nobody else is doing, and that is making a very fully functional, usable in every condition, extremely well thought out, highly crafted stand that will always exist with a bonsai, not just in an exhibition yeah. in, indoors for a weekend somewhere in some random part of the country or world. I don't even know where that goes. I'm excited about the potential that's there, and I I led you I let I set you up I know and I I just, set you up to hit the grand slam in the ninth inning, where you're just like this is where it goes and you're like I don't know man well that, that's <laughs> kind of there's a greatness in that isn't there yeah yeah there if it I knew is. Where well, it there's went, a freedom right yeah well if you knew where it went then we just got there we're done you know 
Um, the fact that mm. the box has been opened and there's another box inside, there's something about that that's interesting. I'm excited to explore it. I'm excited to take it as far as I can possibly take it. You think you think concrete is a material that holds more potential than you gave it credit for? Yes. Oh. And that was a that was with reluctance. Delayed. That was um, with reluctance. Yes. That I mean, I've done one piece in concrete. I am not gonna say I understand the full potential sure. of this. Um, I'm not gonna say it's the end all be all. Um Is it heavy? It's very heavy. Ah, it's super heavy. There's a limitation. There's a limitation there. Um, but I have seen some very delicate concrete work. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that can be negotiated. Um, but you think there's an 80-pound bag of concrete. That's not a lot of concrete. Yeah. And when an 80-pound bag of concrete dries, it still weighs 80 pounds. Yeah. You don't lose anything with that. So, you know, you're looking at that almost no matter how you slice it. Yeah. Um, so there's that limitation. Um, but then again, at the same time, I don't really have to worry about heavy trees there, you know? Um, yeah, it's a structural material. It's extremely, yeah, it's extremely it's strong. Practical it's in that sense. it's gonna know, win. It's wood, gonna win I'm in the fight of a tree or fighting a, that angle. Yeah. Um, but I'm stoked on the potential that it has. Um, and I think marrying materials, maybe there's a place where welded steel and concrete can kind of phase in and out of each other. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be solid. There, I mean, you could take this. There's infinite directions and iterations that this could be uh, maneuvered in. Yeah. I mean, I want to make an, I mean, number two is coming. And I'm going to make concrete elements in my furniture. Both of those are planned on ideas that are laid down. They're coming. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fun, you know, because it's just a whole bunch of new stuff. I want to do a side table, kind of more of a concrete uh, or more of a like drink kind of small side table right. and use a similar that similar ingrain pattern for the base cool out of concrete i think that would be a really nice piece and just keep the top wood element very yeah. simple cool you know cool i could see that being pretty dope i think that would be a, a really fun thing to do yeah and then you know for the nationals i wanted to bring i want to bring a concrete stand to that uh-huh and and you know explore that uh avenue with Interesting. it yeah um and then the part of that is is the bonsai community, you know, stepping up and being like, I want to be a part of this. You know, how can I integrate this into my world? Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely enough people out there that I think are willing to are willing to reconsider. It's a different commitment. It's a different commitment, but I think it's also the right community in North America because mm -hmm. we're not bound by the same yeah, it's tradition, perpetuation of tradition, tradition or cultural limitation. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people looking for interesting, intriguing, and potentially cerebral thought-provoking creative ways to enhance the way that we communicate. Well, to have you know that level of art available to you 365 days a year is... It motivates the hell out of me. It's an interesting and new thing to play with. Well, and what it can do if you start to think about collaborations with ceramicists and what it can do to the ability for ceramics to now push farther afield if they know they have a permanent home that's going to serve as a point of stability, the ceramic body can become a radically different shape. Yeah. I mean, that's, and this is why I say I don't know where this goes. Yeah. Like, it's, this is, it's a broad field. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can do, a lot of places to go. And, and that, you know, that feels really good. That, I like that place. Yeah. I want to be there. I don't want to see the end of the road because then it's over. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense what you're saying. You know, like wood, I understand wood. I know where wood goes. I can do wood in new ways. I discover things, and that's good. That keeps me always hunting, always looking for, you know, what's next? What can I do? I mean, part of what made this second curve happen was being able to uh, oxidize the wood mm -hmm. and take on that darker tone with the oak and, and turn it jet black. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something I've never really been able to do in a way that I felt was acceptable. Mm -hmm. You can dye it, but it, it, that never did it for me. Mm -hmm. the, the dyeing the wood thing just never felt right. Mm -hmm. And so being able to chemically alter it, it, I felt like that had the aesthetic, had the quality, had the, you know, craftsmanship that was required to make it right. When you fume wood, like you, you call it fuming? Fuming and oxidizing are two different things. Oh, they're two different things. Fuming, both chemical. Okay. Fuming is exposing it to high-grade ammonia in a sealed container. Uh-huh. And that darkens woods, um, but it darkens them in more of kind of a wood spectrum. So you go from a white oak, which is a light, light, light brown, to almost a walnut color. And then mahogany, it'll take from kind of a reddish-orange to like a brick red. Mm. So you kind of dial up the color spectrum. And then oxidizing is, is basically you're introducing iron into the wood, and the wood is reacting with the iron. How, do you, how, do, how does that process happen? How do you introduce it's, iron? It's steel wool soaked in vinegar. Oh. And then strained out. And so the vinegar acts as kind of the medium, and the steel wool leaches the iron into the vinegar, and then the vinegar translates that to the wood and forms the kind of catalyst for the reaction. And you just paint it on? Paint it on. Huh. Let it dry, and the wood slowly transforms. It's basically if you were to take a nail and you were to drive it into a living tree, all the juices coming up through that tree are going to leach iron out of that out of that nail and start to transmit it in the tree. Does it really work like that? Totally. If you mill up a tree and you find a nail, there'll be this streak of black. <gasps> emanating out of that nail where the uh where it actually entered the vascular the, system yeah, entered the vat and have been transmitted up and down and it dies you know literally along that vascular system a, a great distance or it's just a it depends hmm. i've seen feet i've seen inches um it kind of depends on how long it's been there what kind of tree it is um it can be an excellent uh, and very interesting kind of design element i've milled up apple that had several nails in it and it had these long black streaks feet feet of black streaks going through it um, Interesting. I just did a, a, a walnut tree the other day. It only had probably about six inches emanating out of the nail hole, but definitely it kind of looks like uh, you know, like a, like when you think of those stylized stars that are like long north yeah. and south, but don't really have any kind of width to them. Right. And it kind of streaks out like that. So it's the same huh. action. Do you know what? Uh, do you know what component of the tree is dissolving that, or is it just the? I know the tannins in the tree react okay. with it, so it's it's tannin based. Same with the fuming. The fuming is a tannin tannin reaction with the ammonia, and uh -huh. then this is again so high tannin trees you get more reaction in black, less tannin trees you get less reaction in grays. Mm. So it kind of desaturates the tree, which mm -hmm. is an interesting place to be. This is how you turn the Japanese maple gray. That so you I turn the with Japanese maple gray. I thought that was one of your stronger the was, pieces that came from the gray Japanese maple were very powerful. And it's, I mean, it's just so much fun to be able now to incorporate things into bonsai that would be off limits previously. Mm -hmm. yep. And then wood is this warm medium. Everybody thinks about the warmth of wood, but 
we've seen warm wood a million times like yeah. to have cool wood and i found with holly you can do it and if you get it's all the soak time starts to matter because you you want to there's a point when you're soaking the metal and the vinegar a lot of water in the vinegar even still and it starts to rust mm-hmm. and that rust can translate color into the wood mm-hmm. so if you do it quickly you can get like a total desaturation and it can even skew to the blue and i've been able to turn holly to like a denim almost color no kidding which is pretty awesome you've been able to turn wood blue blueish yeah pretty blue well, denim is pretty freaking blue i know i that's that's undeniable i mean I not think- that color denim darker like when you get like the brand new indigo jeans wow you know? you're serious like sweet color shit that's cool and that's i mean getting blue out of wood is is tough to do i mean even yeah. the oak was like i did a real quick dissolve and when i put the the finish on it i used my kind of darker finish and it took it way black but it had a very blue tint to it fresh Ooh. unfinished and then if you leave it in there longer you can bring in more uh warm kind of greenish tones and I've been able to turn th- like birch, which is just a junk wood for most people. I've been able to turn it to almost look like teak. Hmm. Like you can get a like a greenish brown out of it and have that kind of like teak coloring in it. Mm. And it's just gorgeous. Is birch stable? Yeah. Enough. Pretty stable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't it doesn't really rank on the, the poles, kind of in the middle. Yeah. I mean, all wood is unstable inherently. Yeah. Um, some more than others. <laughs> Troy and I were <laughs> Troy and I were sitting here looking at my house the other day, and he's like, "What's wrong with the uh, what's wrong what's, what's wrong with that piece of wood there?" And I was looking up at it, and I was like, "Well, which one? Like the whole that whole like the siding of the house is is original siding, and it wasn't maintained very well." I was like, "There's a lot of problems there." And he's like, "No, one of the major structural beams seems like it's moving." And we looked up, and it's like twisting. Oh, it's all torqued. Uh, yeah, but but it's never. It's never been like that before. I don't know why now. That house is built in 1969. I don't know. How recent was that that you noticed that? Uh, it was yeah, literally like yesterday or the okay. day before. For some reason, and I don't know what's going on right now, but it seems like the whole war uh, wood is in revolt at the moment. It, it's I, crazy. I, I've got pieces that have been true for 10 years here that are working yeah, right now. I'm having a really tough time with it right now. Huh. And it's only been this week, maybe two. That just like, I just can't, I'm really getting sick of wood right now because it's just not behaving in any kind of like comfortable way. Like it's just, I have to fight it. And sometimes you got to fight the material, but it gets old at a point. Yeah. And I'm fighting the hell out of wood. So something atmospheric? Something is going on. And the weather's been. It's been challenging. Off. It's been challenging for wood living or dead. Let's just say that. Yeah, I can imagine. This has been a. Freaking nightmare but in we've the spring. Been, I think it kind of like both ends of the extreme and humidity, temperature, everything yep. in the past couple of weeks. And I think that is a big contributor to it. Yeah, I was going to look. I didn't even know what I, I didn't even think about what today dropped down to in terms of humidity. But I bet it's I, I bet it's shockingly low. Let's I don't see. know. We're going to drop 20 degrees tomorrow. And it's going to rain. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, 35 percent humidity 35 today. today. 35% humidity On the today. heels of all that other... On the heels of 100% humidity. Yeah. yeah. So there's your problem right there. I mean, that's at least some of it. Why that... I'm sure that scenario has happened in Portland in the past... How old is your house? Uh, 1969. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure these conditions have existed. This is like the worst place in the world for that God. kind of stuff. I can't, but that's, I can't hang with this stuff. As, this as, is kind of nuts. This is pushing me to my... Uh, the, the weather's challenging. Been yeah, challenging this is a for pain you. in the butt. You it's, know, it, it, it's it's um it, it's it's not. And uh, from a 
quarantine perspective, like I can be quarantined with a child all day long as long as I can put them outside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, the sunny weeks, it's like you get this sunny week of bliss and then you get this rainy week of just, you know, misery. And uh, and then it's back and on again and off again. I mean, what, today it's like 87 degrees. This is outside my comfort zone. If I can't wear flannel, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I took Coop on a death march the other day. We went to go get a donut because he pooped in the toilet. I mean, uh -huh. if you want to know all way more information than anybody needs I'm to know. I'm glad that you added that. Now yeah. I understand everything. But the donut body means training, so much more right now. Body training is, uh -huh. is, is a lot of carrots. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Except those carrots are all donuts. Yep. And so we've been really, he's like, he was doing great, and then he's not doing great, and then I put a donut in the equation, and suddenly we're good again. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, yeah, you get that in there, we'll go get a donut. And so, of course, it happens. Yeah. And so where there's this tienda down the road, and, and, and Mexican sweets are just heaven. You know, them and Italian. Italian. Bread in Mexico and Italy, for some reason, have a very similar concept of mm -hmm. sweet. Mm -hmm. I, I really notice a, a, and there's sweets at the end that i used to get in italy you know and they're not the same but mm -hmm. they are the same you know i feel you i it's feel great. you on that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i'm it, all about it, it. it's a nice level of sweetness oh yeah it's perfect it's not it's almost like it's a, a heartier more wholesome sweetness than just the garbage sugar dump yeah, it's not crispy cream right you know right like <laughs> yeah exactly you know they had the chambella in italy and i don't know what they call it at the tienda but it's basically your donut with granulated sugar God, you're making it. me so sad right now. And I'm that just, is, I'm just, I'm going into the depths of yeah. sorrow. You don't need any other donut on this planet uh, but that. I mean, that is just the end all be all. So anyway, we go out to get this donut, and it was really what three o'clock in the you. afternoon. I'm happy that Cooper pooped in the toilet for yeah, you. I know, me too. I wanted the donut more <laughs> yeah, than anything. Yeah, that was more about me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Deliver just, for me, big guy. I know, because Daddy needs a donut. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh, that's he gets, awesome. He gets the poop in there. And so we're walking down there at like 3.30 in the <laughs> afternoon on the hottest day of this last little spell. Uh -huh. And we get the donut. We're like sitting on the curb eating it. And he's like, Daddy, my feet are tired. And his, I look over and his face is beet red. And he's in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. It's probably 87 degrees outside. Right. right. You know, there's, I'm sure there's a swath of this country that's going to call us a wuss for that. But sure. The sun here is more intense than other places. I think we can agree to that. Absolutely. And and for those not used to it, 87 is really freaking hot. It's freaking hot at this time of year, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I don't have any. Yeah, send me to August, I can deal with 87. I don't know about August either. But yeah, okay. it's definitely, we're all new to this thing right now. We've gone through the winter. Uh -huh. This is our first taste of 87, and yeah. that hurts. Yeah. You know, like yes. I don't care where you live, that first hot day. Uh huh. You know, in Philly, the first hot day, the police sirens never, I, everybody just ran out and started shooting everybody on that day. <laughs> oh, that was just geez. like not a day to go outside. <laughs> Holy you know, and do we got to edit that? No, no, I think that's, I, I, I just, I didn't know Philadelphia rolled like that. Uh, that was like, I think they've been known for that for a while. The first hot day, everybody's just getting shot. First hot day was a hot day. In general, I always remember that, that first hot day. That was a hot day. And you're like, why are all the police sirens? Ah, first time we crossed 90. Yeah. The temperature, I mean, the people boil with the temperature. That's nuts. But, was uh, Philadelphia hot as hell or what? In the summer, it is. Uh, I mean, is it humid? Yeah, it's and muggy. the whole Midwest and Eastern United States is so incredibly humid. It's shocking. Yeah, and the thing about the East Coast is they're not set up for it. Mm. In Texas, it's hot. You know, it's real hot. 
but you don't go outside. You have AC in your house. You have AC in your car. The houses are built low. Mm -hmm. You don't have multi-stories. Your water heater's in the attic, not in your basement. Oh, you know, interesting. They do that's these very, things. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that rises, and they kind of compensate for that. Okay. Whereas Philadelphia, you're living in ancient homes that don't have insulation. They're all stacked vertically. All the heat generations in the basement. Um, Why wouldn't it be? And yeah, there's no AC. I mean, they're set up for winter. Yeah. And, you know? They just and they're set up for summer. winter. I would have thought that over the course of, oh, I don't know, you know, the past 200 plus years that they would have like reconciled that issue because it yeah. seems like it kind of sucks. It does. I mean, I remember sweating out a Philly summer on the third floor of a building, 103 degrees, no <sighs> AC, no ceiling fan. We had one a little oscillating fan. You know, totally stripped naked, no sheets, and just wanting to die. Yeah. You just can't sleep at night. The humidity is, you know, through the roof. Unreal. That sounds like Japan. It's miserable. <sighs> summers are, I mean, and, you know, traditionally people would vacate the city in the summers. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. partially for cholera, you know, partially because it sucks. Yeah. It sounds like Japan. It was just, there's no relief. You get the, you know, they wouldn't be every week, but when you got those heat spikes, you, you would go into businesses, but they wouldn't, you know, like... I feel like if it gets real hot here, I can go to, I don't know, whatever, and they got the AC on, and I can just get that moment where yeah. my temperature kind of yeah. checks, and I can think again. Sure. You know, but there you'd go anywhere, and it would just be as hot as the last place you were at. <laughs> There's just nowhere you can go <laughs> to escape that. Doesn't have any, doesn't anybody have I air know, conditioning? I, you know, here we get the cold nights. It can be 105 degree at 5 o'clock, and then it can just get back down to 65 I mean, it's kind of magical right now. Like you yeah. walk outside, it was it was ninety two yesterday, and this morning I got up and I was freaking freezing I in know. my house. You I had to put a that. sweatshirt on to make coffee. Yeah, you do the window shuffle. You know, you shut the windows in the day, keep what cool you got, and then when the sun sets, you open them up, yep. suck in the cold air overnight, yep. shut them again. Yep. It's great. It's I love like it. Nature's climate control. I'm into this. It's, I like this process. Cool nights is a big deal. We live in a civilized place. You yeah. know, it's yeah. okay. I'm happy to be here. You know. That's like where people are starting to talk about, well, you, you almost need an air conditioner in Portland now. It's like, no, you don't. Not yet. No, you don't. Not yet. We're not even close to that. We're not there. I'm sorry. When it hits 105, it's unpleasant. I agree. Yeah. Stay on the first floor. Uh, I got to walk out. I got to walk out basement in my house. And that, that place no, is the basement's six, 67 degrees. I know. At any time of the year. Cooper wants to play in the basement all winter. I'm like, I don't really want to go down there, buddy. But, you know, come this time of year, I'm like, hey, you want to go play in the basement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get down there. there. There's some toys down there we need to check out. I'm all about the natural climate control. I I think it's a, you know, some places it's not practical. Arizona, you're not going to, it's not going to help. It's not going to work. I was talking to my dad about that because my my parents live in Arizona now. And I was like, hey, is it possible for you to live in Arizona? Like, would it be possible? Do you see it as being a possibility that you could actually acclimate to that? And he's like, I'm sure some people can, but I would definitely be dead. Yeah. I would definitely die. He's like, I could, it's just too, but when you're thinking about 120 degrees, like, and I think about this with Taliesin West and Frank Lloyd Wright setting, setting up his facility there. And, I mean, they just had canvas. Even when you go to Taliesin now, they just have canvas roofs and canvas coverings for a lot of the buildings. And they would come from Wisconsin, 
over the winter time show up. Granted, winter time is going to be cooler and nicer, but they would stay into a fair significant, fair, fair portion of the beginning of the heat before they would leave, and they would just clean it up every year. They'd just clean up all the dust that accumulated inside yeah. of the canvas, and and, and away we Proceed. go. Now we're at Taliesin West. Yeah. It's like pretty wild to go check it out and recognize that there's still not air conditioning in most of that facility. I've never been. Oh, it's amazing. It's uh, great. If you like Frank Lloyd Wright's work, it's it would be one of I would think it would be one of the more uh, interesting places to tour. Frank Lloyd Wright's one of those though that like, it doesn't matter if you like or dislike. It's still interesting to see. I feel like it's, it's very intelligent. Like, it's very. It intelligent. doesn't matter your yeah. personal opinions about it. It's still worth looking at yeah any great art doesn't matter you can hate it you can love it but still witnessing it i think is important and interesting and worthwhile yeah we did falling water on the way out driving from philly to here when we moved and i mean that i mean it's almost a cliche that that building at this point i mean but it's still like i'd live there oh my gosh you know yeah i would live there it worked somebody gave it to me i'd take it yeah falling water i i didn't know (laughs) This is so funny. I didn't know who Frank Lloyd Wright was, and I I had literally zero interest in architecture. And I was working at Nature's Way in Harrisburg, outside of Harrisburg, and Jim Doyle's like, hey, if you got a couple extra days, stick around. I'll take you to Falling Water. I thought Falling Water was an amusement park. (laughs) And I was like, that's really weird that Jim Doyle wants to take me to a water park, but okay, you know, like, I'll stick around. Must be a great water park. my swimsuit. We drive all the way down there. I still, when we show up, you know how you show up in the parking lot and you can't see the building? Yeah. And there's, like, a gift shop, and Jim's like, and I'm still like, what what are we doing? You know, and he's like, don't look at pictures, just, you know, just go. And at this time, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I really didn't, use my phone to do research and stuff like that and i still don't like i went to yosemite i had never i'd only seen pictures of like half dome so it was like pretty impressive to go to yosemite no way you can match that on a phone like no 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 but i didn't even know that i was going to see a piece of architecture and then all of a sudden we're walking on the path and then there's this absolutely out of this world building and he's like there it is that's falling water and i was like well didn't expect this didn't that had to have been really fun for him like, how often do you get to take somebody to something like that who has absolutely no idea? Right. I'd be like showing a kid Christmas for the first time yeah. or something, you know? Like, So, I mean, I took Taft and Fujikawa to Yosemite, which it was also very enjoyable for me because I had never been. But Fujikawa didn't know where the hell he was going. Oh, shoot. So yeah. I was just like, yeah, we're just going into the mountains. And he was just like, okay, great. All of a sudden, we roll into the valley, and he's just like. How'd you come at it? Ooh. You come through that where you're like, you go through that tunnel. And then the road yeah, turns, and it's just yeah. like the whole thing yeah. is right there. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I seen the valley. I seen I seen it all. Mm-hmm. And we can't. I nearly crashed the car. You know, like you come around that corner out of that tunnel. Yeah. And it's just like, and then all the waterfalls in the distance are moving in slow motion, <sighs> and it's it's a Hollywood set. I mean, there's just no incredible. way it's real. Yeah. It's I mean, incredible. we stopped, got out, and we were, me and Ash were sitting on that rock wall there, just staring at it, and there was like these. This group of uh, like Asian tourists, these girls, and we had our dog on the leash, and we were like completely oblivious that there was like a whole photo shoot going on with our dog behind us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we eventually turn around, and there's like four girls sitting there, you know, with our dog uh-huh. doing this whole photo session. And he's just like, you know, and hog heaven, <laughs> loving it, yeah. loving the attention. <laughs> and we're just like, oh hey, you know, like Shh. there you go, like you know, throw a dime in his collar, and we're just gonna watch this there video you go, yeah you know put, put out a guitar case but it was like completely oblivious to this but it was just like so mesmerizing 
Was yeah, Yosemite's. Uh, so the m- when when everything shut down on March fifteenth, we were planning on being in Yosemite the following week. Oh, we had all man. the accommodations worked out. I was going to take Taft and we were going to go check out the waterfalls at the Big Water Flow. Yeah, you know, as the snow was melting, I don't know if we would have hit it or not. But I just wanted to get back in the spring. Yeah, and then that got shut down. Oh, that sucked. That stinks. Yeah, I mean first world problems but yeah. I, I really that was uh, yosemite's like everybody talks about how special it is but then you go and the the first day we were there it was so crowded with tourists yeah uh and, and then uh on monday after the weekend ended everybody went back to their lives i bet i bet we saw five people for the rest of really? the time that we were in yosemite that's yeah. special it was those those awesome. original parks the, the 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 og yeah national parks you yeah. know What's your favorite national park? That's a tough call. Have I you think, seen Yellowstone? Yeah. Yeah, I've done Yellowstone. I haven't done Yellowstone. Yeah, I mean, they all, I think there's, di- I I've mean. I've done Rocky Mountain. I don't know if there's favorite. Like, I think Yosemite is the best Vista. Yeah. Hands down. Um, Grand Canyon tries, but there's something, the package of Yellowstone. Like, it's it's not, you can take it all in. It's not as diffuse. Like, the other ones, you know, are more park. They're spread out. What you can take what in? Yosemite. Yosemite. Oh, Yosemite. Yeah, yeah. You can digest yeah. it a little bit. One point, bit. you can get the whole thing. The, uh-huh. the wow. It's just, it's a, it's a Beardstadt painting. Yeah. You know, right there. It's easy to grasp in like a single, you know, panoramic mm-hmm. frame. Yellowstone, you're just not going to get wildlife like that anywhere else. You know, like wildlife in Yellowstone is insane. For the amount of tourism they get, there's still, there's like, you'll see you know like either the buffalo on the road and then the herd of elk like i've just never seen a park with that much wildlife mm. interspersed in the park and then sure. the the natural vistas are insane it's all volcanic so it's very unworldly it's alien huh and it's really cool for that interesting um it's a really fun one it's big too i mean you can't there's so many like you don't get the one shot that you get with yosemite yeah. at yellowstone and then it's busy, which is a bit of a downer. Um, the Grand Canyon's really awesome, but that's more of like a physical challenge, I feel like, than mm-hmm. like a grand sightseeing tour. Did you hike it? We went as far as we we didn't have overnight accommodations, and you really can't go down all the way without staying down one night. Okay. Um, so you, we were, can you camp down there, like tent yeah, camp? You, you can camp, but you really got to. It's you got to reserve that. Yeah. It's one of those things where you really got to plan that years in advance to do. You just can't whim, unless you get lucky. Yeah. Um, so we did as much as we could in a day, uh, down, and we all we should have gone further. We could have done more. Like we still probably had three hours of daylight. Like we left early morning, and when we got back, we probably still had three more hours. So we we were there's um. I forget what the name of it was like Indian Oasis or something like that. Some kind of a there's like this grove of trees um on this kind of ledge. Like you do the the back and forth switchback cliffside thing down and it starts to kind of like flatten out a little bit. Mm. And then there's this little area there and we could have we could have got to that. That was within like a mile or two of where we got. And that would have been a nice kind of destination before hiking back mm-hmm. out. Um but we called it a little early. Um, but even that, I mean, that one's so physical. I mean, the whole way down, there's warning signs about people who are in shape who died trying to hike the canyon, you know? Like, there's the Boston Marathoner who who tried to do it and, and Wait, ended up what? dying. Why, why, why did he die? 
Oh, it was a woman. Um, oh, but she doesn't matter. Sorry. It, it's a, I think that most of it's a water issue, exhaustion. Oh, like they you, just didn't be, go prepared. Yeah, you're not prepared. Like, you can't carry <laughs> enough water to hike that thing. There's a few water fill-up stations, but it's kind of like driving through, like, going across southern Arizona where you almost have to carry gas with you to make it. Yeah. You know, like, if you don't have the, the fuel, the water... To do that, you're you're in deep doo doo, mm-hmm. and it gets nobody's going to be there to save you. I mean, and they have people walking up and down the whole trail. Like several people stopped us, park rangers, and like, how you doing? You know, you're okay. Like, you got water? Oh, wow, you're feeling good? Like, and they and the whole while they're just scanning you for your reaction. Like, if they sense that you're on edge, they know the territory. They'll pick you out of there. Um, but they're constantly pulling people out of that one. <laughs> they're like. Hey, we've been we've seen a lot of people hiking this. You're not looking so yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing is, too, like, well. you, you start out and it's like it's like a you know a bad Portland spring. Like you start out at 65 degrees, and you get to the bottom, and suddenly you're at 95 degrees. Wait, it's hotter down below. Yeah, you get hotter as you go down. I would think it would be cooler down there. That's well, same thing with uh, I guess elevation. Like you're up high when you start. Yeah, and then you're kind of going down. And you're you're losing the the cool of altitude there, I guess. Interesting. Would be the, interesting. And I but would, so it heats, and so you're heating up. So it's like it's really easy to just kind of bite off too much, you know. And you're going downhill. I feel like this is a theme in the national parks, though. Like you go and you're like national park. There's going to be roads and people, and it's organized, and there's got to be accommodations and food, and it's like in some places. But yeah. the national parks are preserved as wild places. I think. It's a good place to die. Yeah, Grand Canyon, probably the national parks, is probably the most popular place to die, I think, of all the oh, national geez. parks. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. the biggest, most, you know, put together. I mean, it's like Yellowstone infrastructure and all wise. It's been there forever. Yeah. You know, it's huge. Yeah. Very popular, very used. But you're really on your own once you go over the edge and start going down there. Interesting. You know? like you're really kind of wow. like in your own hands on that one. I've never spent much time at the Grand Canyon either, as many times as I've driven through Arizona. And you got to go go over the edge. Bring, and you, I mean, it sucks because you're carrying two gallons of water each that you're filling up every time you see a pump, you know, and they're, you're been done with your two gallons by the time you get to that next pump. No You're, you're happy shit. to see it. And, you're literally uh, carrying two gallons? Yeah, we had a gallon jug in the bag. I mean, the most of the weight we carried was water in a granola bar, basically. Almost. What time of year were you there? Ooh, not summer, summer, but not Okay, so maybe two. it was not. Maybe your calendaring of the event was not as good as it could have well, been. Well, it wasn't like super hot. It was like nice, tepid time. It wasn't mm-hmm. cold, wasn't hot. Um, it was kind it of be cold in the Grand Canyon yeah, it wasn't, any day. Yeah, it wasn't your extremes. Yeah. You know, it wasn't 105 down below. It was pleasant. Yeah. It got hot on the way down. It was cool on the way up. Yeah. And then there's the lodge right there at the top. So the second we got out of the canyon we went and had a manhattan at the lodge which is kind of an exactly odd experience what you, you, needed. you know you're in the middle of it you get that wilderness feel and then you got to get back to it that'd be so funny if there was a mixologist there like what can i what can i fix you for an experience well, essentially now? there is you know we show up basically brown from the dust on the way down right you know we just came right out of the trail and you know you could always look like some kind of cowboy rolling up in <laughs> 1863 you know, and it's just ordering a Manhattan in a classy lodge. That's so funny. Was it pink? Of sorts. It was oh. a good Manhattan. Okay. Well, it was, well, a, it was a quality. Happy it was no you. junk. Have you ever uh, you ever been to Glacier? Yeah, young though. I was like sixteen when I did that. That's the one I want to I want to go that, tackle. Like, I don't have any memory of the scenic. 
of it, but I have a very solid memory of the impact. Mm. I remember just being blown out of my mind by it. It's, I think, short of going to the Alps, like, to get, like, an Alpine kind of extravaganza switzerland yeah it's like you imagine doing switzerland it (gasps) would be it it was i mean i just i can i just have this memory of just being like holy shit this is america Mm -hmm. you know it's not something you would expect or see just like you know waterfalls and rocks and just like that whole i mean it's not rocky rocky mountain you know not that kind of mountain yeah it's very I don't know, almost intimate and like peak to peak kind of mm-hmm. where you're getting a little, I felt like Rocky Mountain, you kind of, you could dominate the surroundings. They take you, I mean, Rocky Mountain takes you up to the top, right? Yeah, so you're, you're like looking down on yeah, everything you and felt, you're aware you're, you're, you vistas are because you're at the very top. Yeah. Whereas that one, you felt more closed. You were in, in it. Yeah. You were oh, in interesting. that in a different way. I think Rocky Mountain's great. Oh, Rocky Mountain. I mean, it's the thing beautiful. that struck me so much about that is like, I'm driving up. And I'm looking at the elevation markers, and I get to this point where I'm like, holy cow, like, I'm at the summit of Hood right now. Yep. On a paved road. Yes. You know, like, I've just driven to the top of the tallest Freakish. place you can get almost in Oregon. Yep. And I'm not there yet. Yep. You know, like, yep. I'm just getting started. That was what really blew me away <laughs> about that one. With a trailer. I'm like, with a trailer on the top of Hood. Oh, the roads are great. Oh, I know. They're great. Uh, you'd think it would be just terrifying. Yeah. But then, and then you get into that like alpine tundra kind of thing. You get into the crumbles at the top of Rocky Mountain, and you yeah. get into some really interesting shit up there. Oh, and then, see, I grew so so like uh, growing up near Aspen. There is uh, you can either go through Glenwood Springs, get on I seventy, and then cross over the Continental Divide headed east towards Denver. Okay, that's like the 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 highway route. Or during the summertime. You can move. You can go th- uh, up Independence Pass, which is basically a very a two lane, extremely narrow, extremely windy, high alpine pass from Aspen, crosses over and drops you into Leadville, which is the highest town in continental North America. Uh, it's a ten thousand five hundred foot town that has year round residents in it, uh, and whenever whenever independence pass was open the experience of driving over independence pass was as exhilarating as any other aspect of the rocky mountain region that i've experienced because you've got grottos where water's eroding granite and creating these crazy shapes and there's still snow in most places year round up there crazy tiny little trees and then you get dropped into leadville where there's just a ton of that was like the original tommy knockers brewery Mm. Uh, and, and some of the original microbreweries in Colorado that started being extremely prolific as microbrew fad took on sort of the movement that it was. I've been trying to garden with Cooper for the past three years, I guess now. I mean, not quite on this scale as far as investment, but just like trying to get like my garden around the house together. Uh-huh. And like each year we've progressed in like our destruction of my efforts, you know, uh, Cooper just, rages on your gardening projects. Yeah, pretty. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just weathering that. You know, the first year it was just like nuclear bomb, Godzilla, just decimate. You know, and then yeah. it becomes more focused at that point. You know, more pointed destruction. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then a little bit less. You know, you can kind of get some things to take hold without just having it all obliterated. Does he stomp on it? Does he pull it out? Does he just, just the whole works? Well, initially it was stomping. You know, he would be going through the forest and the jungle and the tigers and just be uh-huh. like, rah, rah, you know, just no concept of what's yeah. important, yeah. you know. 
And then now it's kind of more like I'll be weeding. And then a couple of days later, he's like, daddy does this, except he's pulling out stuff that I've planted, you know, all the tomatoes. Yeah. Or, <laughs> right. you know, all the greenery, basically. Uh-huh. Like I came back the other day, I had a nice time kind of creeper on the, and it's just like all over the driveway. Uh, and I was just like, what, what happened here? And Ash was like, oh, he was saying, daddy, daddy did this. And I always, i meticulously pluck out every stupid weed that gets Uh in that time you know i'm at war with clover you know (sighs) clover if i could teach him how to do that it would just be a godsend but instead it's just like every ounce of time just bit it that day you know and and there's like really as a parent you're kind of like well okay yeah what am i I gonna do what are you gonna do yeah you know what are you gonna do yeah so yeah it's just like i'm glad he's not walking through the middle of it now because you know, it like yeah. can take hold long enough now where it fills into a density where he doesn't want to walk through it. Right, 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 know, right. It defends itself. I, I, uh, I was the most meticulous kid. Like every single GI Joe still has the weapon and all the masks and helmets. Like, yeah, I didn't break toys. I didn't lose things. Everything was accounted for in pristine condition. <laughs> and. <laughs> I'm sure it was quite valuable before we opened the toy boxes of dads yeah, for not for anymore. Dads to, not anymore. Yeah. No, no, not am, a single, not a single thing is complete, and 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 most of it's broken now. I and am, I've had to really let go. Yeah, you do have to learn it. You grow as a human. I'm fascinated by every hand-me-down toy and book that I get, and it's just like, how is this still intact? Yeah, I get this book that my parents give me that I had when I was Coop's age. And this book has made it. You know. Yep. 40 years almost pristine, you know, and Coop gets his hands on it. And then two days later, you know, it has no cover. The binding's gone. It's ripped to shreds. It's yeah. drawn all Every over. Every page is, is it's colored on. It's completely destroyed, yeah. Yeah. you know? And I keep telling my mom, like, don't don't send me this stuff because if you cherish the memory, you're, you're sending it to the trash compactor. Uh-huh. Like, nothing you have sent me has survived a week. Yeah. This you is know? a paper shredder, essentially. Yeah, it's yeah. like he will decimate anything that comes here, you know? And I can say no five times, but the second I turn my back, it's, you know... It's Cooper's the world. The power's over. It's Cooper's you know? world. It's time to go. And is Ashley kind of like, eh. And we're all kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's what do you do? You either beat your child yeah. or you just give in to it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And well, and I, I always tell Taft, I'm like, I, I appreciate the fact that you play with those toys to a degree where you're pushing their threshold of structural integrity. I like I have respect for that more than I ever did. Uh huh. Exactly. And then he starts playing games with the parts, yeah. which is cool too. I almost appreciate that more than the toys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've found a lot I feel of there's satisfaction a, in that. Yeah. I feel like there's like a growth in that, you know, there's like this, like, creativity stimulus when you're like playing with parts of destroyed toys <laughs> and then you get to make up new worlds for them and new you try toys and, that have never existed yeah you know you're having whole games with like you know the hookup between what was once a train you know uh-huh. the, the, the connectors you know and, and stuff and yeah these little plastic you know bits and pieces it's also That's giving me so a plastic, funny. an appreciation for the development of plastic over the past couple of decades amazing it's come a long amazing like even comparing legos you know like you see the 1980s legos versus the legos today like i've got legos that are so brittle if i engage them they just snap off in each other yeah just you look at them they're like glass yep you know and the stuff today feels so supple and giving and (sighs) have you ever been to legoland in carlsbad no i've never been there 
I mean, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor first. Okay, Cooper second. Cooper's going to love it. Yeah, that's given. If you have any passion or nostalgia around Legos, I'm sorry, but Legoland is. But Cooper, have you been to Legoland? Oh, my God. I guess, you know. This is one of the great architectural feats <laughs> of North America. Falling Lego water, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, number three. Two, four, five, Legoland. Number that's, one. That's where it's no, at. Uh, it is fantastic. Fantastic. Just getting to be a kid again. Everything's made out of Legos. Yeah. In in massive scale. It's not even comprehensible how it was done. Like, you look at it and you're just like, God, this must have taken people forever. And take Cooper there. Take him like 13 minutes to bring that place to the ground. Yeah, right. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. This is what was brilliant around Legoland. Legoland was built for kids that can definitely destroy most Lego structures. They can't. It's cut. made for it. It's just like bring it. It's like reinforced bring Lego. It. Yeah, exactly. Like so when I'm you sure... alternate properly and you can't take it ever apart. Exactly. And I mean, I'm sure every parent is like. I don't know. My kids, my kid can mess this stuff up. Legoland is built like a brick shit house. Wow. It is built for kids who destroy Legos. That's something to see. Oh, I love the Lego. The Legos have been like me and Coop have bonded to no end with Legos. That's what I'm saying. Legos right. are Legos are a centrifuge of Taft and I's I mean, relationship. Yeah, mom, you're one, you're two. That's that's important. Yep. You know, I'm mm -hmm. never gonna grow boob. I'm never gonna even come close in that mm -hmm. realm. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even now he's saying, like, why doesn't mom know how to make things out of Legos? You know, he's just, like, fascinated by my Lego ability. <laughs> and it's just suddenly has turned me into this god yeah. that, I, you know, I could never be. Yes. You know? Yeah. And now I'm just, like, the Lego maestro. And I, my ability is no better than it. I mean. Totally. I, I, I make junk. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But he loves it, you know? Like, Legos are awesome, And then awesome, just coming man. up with these weird, like, we, I got this book from, like, I remember it when I was a kid that has all these Lego, like, instructions, how to make all this crazy stuff out of Legos. Oh, interesting. And we've gone through it. He's like, I want to do this today. And we've done a couple in there. But the funnest ones are you just, like, freestyle. I think so, too. And you make just the weirdest stuff. Radical you know? stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just absolutely incompetent incomprehensible buildings and cars and mobiles of some sort or another yeah we're going back he, he asked me every week he's like when are we going back to legoland i'm like as soon I, as they open as soon soon son i hope very soon maybe by july <sighs> is it outdoors or indoors mixture of both okay. it's like an amusement park it's a whole amusement park with different themes there's a ninjago there's an under the sea there's like uh is there any rides of or is it just all oh visual? yeah no there's rides oh. yeah but not like not like disneyland rides they're yeah. like little toned down but it's it's pretty phenomenal and here's here's the here's the game changer about legoland okay legoland has some of the best barbecue in california really yeah yeah there is a barbecue place there's a barbecue stand at legoland that is legitimately high level barbecue yeah, you, you um, can be skeptical. Yeah, I, am very I, I, wa skeptical. I walked into that place. I walked into that place. I had heard about it. And I walked into that place and I was like, there's no way in hell that the barbecue at Legoland is going to be impressive. And I was impressed. So, That's, anyways, hey, you, you go there. Don't believe me. Yeah, you put it all on the line here, right? Uh -huh. I mean. <laughs> That's, hey, 
Hey, you'll never be hey, able to give another. Listen, it's in the medieval part of it's in the medieval part of Legoland. You okay. go there, you enjoy yourself. Uh, barbecue you. was big in the medieval era. I mean, yeah. that, you don't oh. read a lot of that in the history book. <laughs> But, uh, turkey legs and yeah, ribs you know you know it's more <laughs> of a southern style I think. Uh-huh, just with the vinegar based south carolina barbecue yeah. sauce yeah, and the right. best barbecue i ever did was uh i'm sure that's not how you pronounce it but dubois d-u-b-i-r-o-u-s it might have been dubois okay um wyoming um and it's like just on like the mountain perimeter of uh yellowstone so you're like, you haven't come in close enough where you could stay there mm-hmm. and go to Yellowstone, but you're just kind of coming down into the valley in Wyoming. And there was a KOA in Dubois, and, and, or Dubois, whatever the hell, however you pronounce that. I mean, it's like a L road of a town. So mm-hmm. this drag kind of takes a 90-degree turn. That's it. And there's this KOA. And right outside of the KOA is this outdoor shack with like this kind of pallet fence around it with seating outdoors around that and like this like outhouse with like this nostalgic country vignette set up in there with country on the radio playing all the time nice and man i went i mean that place like your world huh oh my god yeah like it was like getting towards closing when i finally got out to it and there was three people in line and he was sold out enough he had two servings left that was it you know, on the third in line, one of was this lady. She was a local. She was like, I'll let you guys get in on this. I can get it tomorrow. You know, I'll seed my... It's very generous of It her. was. That's it was. Because you could see a local being like, hell no. I know. Out of what Tanner the... taking my yeah. barbecue portion. <laughs> Foreigner. Yeah, right. But, uh... Exactly. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but, man, it was like... It was impressive. Wow. I mean, it was something. It was good. <sighs> barbecue. Barbecue. When I was a kid, like, that was not a part of my life. And I remember going hunting for trees with my dad when I was in high school. And we stumbled upon this barbecue shop out in the middle of the mountains in some little podunk town in Colorado. And my dad's like, they got barbecue. You want some barbecue? And I was like, I don't want barbecue. The barbecue that I had had was dry, overcooked barbecue yeah. with, uh, with um, uh, what was the A1? Um, A1 sauce on yeah, it. That not, was my version of barbecue. barbecue. And we went in there and both got uh, a half rack of ribs. And I was like, this is magical. See, you know, that's, that's my like, only reason to be skeptical about the Legoland barbecue. Yeah, I feel fun. like the best barbecue. And maybe that place. I'm not Legoland's saying Legoland is the well, best barbecue. The best, don't, don't, don't get it twisted here, all, Austin. All the, okay, I'm not putting more on this. The, yeah, the, you're going a little overboard <laughs> yeah. here. I didn't Ryan say that. has definitely said here that Legoland has uh-huh, the best barbecue but, in the United I feel States. Like all the best barbecue I've ever had has been one of those places where it's just like, there's no way to know that place exists. You, yeah, you know, I would. Yeah, not, I, I could agree. It's with not that. a point on a map. It's yeah. something you just like fall into, and it's late in the day, and you're hungry, and oh shit, there's this shack over there. Hey, what? Oh, they got barbecue, and that's the one that blows my mind every time. Mm. You know, any of these like any there's the million and one corporate barbecue chains you know yeah you can't do that you got to get find the hole in the wall but, but i definitely think there are hole in the wall destinations that demand your respect well, and attention and the one thing i could say in legoland's favor is i would say legoland that would be rather a hole in the wall place to look for barbecue you know that would be one of those like i would not expect to find it there that yeah because there's be like pizza over here and hamburgers and everybody's doing that 
and you just slide into that barbecue line and all of a sudden you have a half rack of ribs and some brisket and some sausage and you're like, oh, this is going down right now. <laughs> this is going down right now. And it was good. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah, definitely. I was lucky enough. Barbecue was very much in my sphere. You want to go to Legoland together and hang out? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay. Let's, let's That's actually what I was trying. Microphone. I was just right like, here. you know, you bring Cooper, I'll bring Taft. They can go do their own thing. We can enjoy Legoland and relive our childhood and have some barbecue. Yeah. Boom. The barbecue sucks, so I'm leaving you there and just walking out. That's fine. I'm not worried. Okay. I'm not yeah, worried. I'm there's... totally calm. I'm actually really confident. <laughs> I'm serious, man. It was good. I'm not some rookie at barbecue either. Like, I've tried to find best barbecue as I've traveled North America. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely tried to find good barbecue. It, it's legitimate. Well, I think the, the one thing we all need to push for here in this whole era is getting Legoland back open getting legoland back open and improving the barbecue scene in portland because it is it is bleak yeah it's bleak. yeah i'm trying to even think but people's pig doesn't even cut it man i mean people's pig is i mean that's that's kind of yeah that's the one that's the one that's, that's the not one. bad it's okay it's a different type it's okay it's, the problem with barbecue too is it's very like regionally diverse and people do tend to get attached. Like, I got my favorite. I, I like it more tangy. I'm not into the southern sweet. I, I like, don't like the sweet either. I don't yeah, like the brown sugar. I, I like yeah. the mm -hmm. tang. I like I, the vinegar really, based. Yep. It's got to be the tang. Um, you know, and, and people's pig is, I think, even outside of that realm, they're more of like, uh, it's really not sauce based at all. You know, it's more of a, of a roast. Yeah. And then the one they have, it's like a drizzle of fat or something. I don't know. It's great. I mean, hmm. But it's not like, I mean, they do have the sweet stuff you can put on top, but I feel like the best stuff I've had out of them had no sauce on it. I think it's hard to go to a barbecue spot. I mean, depends. Colton used to say brisket was the reference in Texas to to know the quality of a barbecue yeah, spot. Yeah, well, brisket's easy to fuck up. That's the thing. Is that what it is? I, I just don't find brisket to be enjoyable enough, no matter how well it's cooked, to really use that as a point of reference. It feels to me like ribs are, because ribs very easily can also dry yeah, out, and can, also you've got all of well, the all magic of the ribs. Well, all barbecue is borderline meat, basically. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Okay. Fair enough. It's not innards, but like people's pig has messed up enough rib meals for me in the limited number of times that I've been there that yeah, I'm I don't, like, nah, I don't do people's pigs for ribs. And maybe that's where I enjoy it more. Um, mm. people's pigs, what do you do ribs. pork shoulder or pork stomach, yeah, I do pork, the pork belly, shoulder, pork, yeah, the pork belly sandwich is pretty good yeah, too. Pretty I feel like they're there where they win is they, they're, they're slow cooking meat, not, uh -huh. not the bone, the rib stuff, but like the sandwiches. Yeah. Is more where it's at with them. I heard their chicken's outstanding, too. Ashley loves their chicken. Yeah, I heard their chicken's good. The smoke thing. See, my problem is growing up in Texas, I was exposed to a lot of liquid smoke. Uh-huh. And so now anything that's smoked just tastes like liquid smoke to me. I just can't do it. Boy, that feels sacrilegious, liquid smoke in it, Texas. It, it is. Barbecue's an institution in Texas. It is. Very much so. It is very Liquid much. smoke. I would think a place like that would get run out of town. Well, and it just puts a just a stain on your, your memory. I just yeah. can't do it. Anyway, I mean, I remember I once I tried to smoke, uh, um, what you guys was partially by accident, but uh, asparagus, mm. and that stuff sucks up smoke, like no. So it busy. just holds the flavor. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like just like taking shots. Do your piece smell smoky? I didn't. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm just curious, you know. I mean, asparagus has that. I know has I know. that vibe. I didn't know if it carried it all the way through or not. I mean, it definitely smelled like asparagus pee, but I can't remember. It smelled like liquid smoke asparagus pee. Yeah, that's an interesting. I feel thought. like it, if it did, I would remember it because that sounds about the worst thing that I could experience <laughs> right there. <laughs> that would officially ruin it. There, there's a very legitimate rib spot in Salem, Oregon. Is there? Oh my gosh! 
whenever we go down to Telperion to dig trees uh, out of uh, out of Chris and Lisa's place in the springtime, Adam's ribs in Salem is, is a- phenomenal. Yeah, hmm. Colton even came with us and he- because we had gone. Troy and I had gone down there one time. And stopped it. We are so hungry because when you're out digging in the field and you're wet and you're muddy and you're cold and it's February, it's just say, give me something hearty and yeah. warm and of substance. And I was like, I wonder if there's barbecue. We looked it up, had moderately okay ratings at best. And we we're just like, well, it's better than nothing. And we went and, and it was, it was as, as it was right up there. Top, hmm. top five for me. That's fine. I mean, Corvallis has the best Indian food I've had in Oregon. Really? Evergreen. Huh. It's it's really good. Every time I go there, I try and convince them to move to Portland. I have no idea what they're doing in Corvallis. It's not like you go there for business, you know? Yeah, but I mean, Corvallis is a college town. It is a college town. But there's I, guess, good, there's I discovered a, Indian in college. So there's I guess, a lot of good food in college towns, I feel like. Yeah. That, that definitely is... Not f- in Corvallis, necessarily. No. <laughs> I haven't spent much time. Eugene Corvallis, Central Southern Oregon. I have not spent a lot of time. Yeah, I haven't. I went through Eugene once, uh-huh. and uh, that's it for there. Corvallis. I did a couple of shows at the Art Center there. They had a yearly thing that I did for a few years, and then I got a wood guy I just recently discovered, just outside of Corvallis. Okay, and he's got the stuff. He's uh, he's. Is got this the, the walnut stuff. burl guy? No, this guy's got myrtle like nobody's business. Does myrtle grow native in Oregon? Or, yeah, or, it does. Yeah, but it's more native southern. myrtle. Yeah, yeah, it's more southern Oregon, though. You're not going to get it up here. It'll grow here. I got a buddy. He's got two myrtle trees outside his house, but I wouldn't cut it here. It, it's just something about location translates into the wood, and this isn't the place for myrtle. It's not the place for madrone either. Uh, something weird about madrone. It, like, skips over Oregon. Like, Seattle, you can get some killer madrone. Huge. Southern Oregon, killer. But right here, no. Doesn't done. work. I'll be done. And then Myrtle, it doesn't definitely, you know, Myrtle north of us, but you go south and that Corvallis is kind of the, the meniscus, the cusp of the Myrtle zone. So they're like far north for Myrtle. You the know, Myrtle's like, from Corvallis south. Yeah. I mean, he's probably going south to pick up his logs. You know, he just has access being in Corvallis, like the two hour jump down for him, you know. Does, it, it, does Myrtle get big? Yeah. Yeah. It gets big. I, I mean, think- I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate the breath. I got, Three different, entirely different figure iterations of Myrtle off this guy. Same species, but three completely different looking trees. So this is almost like a fiddleback versus... uh... No, it's not even like curl versus straight. I'm talking white versus golden versus greenish brown, like Hmm. different colors, different grain patterns... If I were to show them all next to you, you'd swear there are three different trees. I'll be darned. That not related, not the same species, nothing to do with each other. Mm. Completely different, but all the same. I mean, it's different. It's like English walnut to black, you know, like totally different things. Hmm. Um, all myrtle. I mean, it's amazing. I'll be darned. Now, there's some potential there because it can get dark. I, I, I've always really liked myrtle, and I... When you say myrtle, I, I instantly think of, I wonder if there's any, I wonder if you could find a resource for stunted or gnarly myrtle. Because myrtle, yeah. I mean, they use myrtus in, in, in the Mediterranean regions. Do they? And it's 
phenomenal for bonsai. The, very, very powerful, very burly, yeah, chunky, abnormal, unique growth habit, and and it grows fast. Well, that's it's, how they grow in the wild. I mean, that's what they look like when you see them in in real life here. Where, and so they're in Oregon. I just had no idea. God. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, like uh, on a hot summer's day when you're walking by like Juniper and or any of those yeah. and, you, and, you, and the heat heats up the resin. Yes. And you smell that resin. Yes. I mean, to me, I love that. That's like the best experience yeah. ever. Myrtle's the same way because all the leaves, they have like that bay leaf scent to them. Yep. And on a hot day, I mean, it's almost like there's soup cooking, like all that spicy mm-hmm. leaf starts going and, and you get that that sensation from it. I think wow. that would be amazing. Is the wood, so. Does the wood have an odor to it that? Yeah, peppery, very peppery, very peppery. Yeah, very scented wood. Mm-hmm. Like the the wood, like either you like it or you don't. But it's it's pretty intense. I like it. I think it's wonderful. Have you ever? Is the wood of California pepper ever something that's been utilized, or is there any information I've around it? Never played with it. Okay. I've seen. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I've seen some of it. There's a, a place. Uh, Instagram has become my new source for like wood providers uh-huh it is like they i mean all these little small mill operations like that has been the portal to all of them mm. and i've seen there's a person in la who's posting some uh some pepper and i don't know what it is as a tree mm-hmm. i was just using his i saw it as his like he listed it yeah. you know pepperwood um weird stuff it, it like, burls up it yeah burls I mean, most up of his massive stuff was, burl bases but it's like pink and black yeah the, the color on it's insane well, they the fruit that it, that they, they produce so much garbage. I remember going to s- school in Slow on the Central Coast, and there were pepper trees everywhere, and they just constantly rain down garbage. It's almost like they're fruiting all the time, and the fruit dries up, and it's it looks like little pepper. It's hmm. not. I don't think it. I don't think you could actually use it as a seasoning, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but it's just dropping everywhere. The branches are always dropping. The leaves are always dropping. The wood is shedding its bark. It's burled up. It's just a nightmare of a tree. Those think because you don't, nobody replants those. Right. Walnuts yeah. in the same category, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like nobody wants one around. But the wood is amazing. I know. It's like you find them, you want to mill them. Yeah. But it's not a replenished resource because nobody's willing to do that. Have you ever driven through the town of St. Helens and seen Walnut Park, the little park that has the ginormous walnut no, tree in it? No, I haven't. Oh, it's I love the huge walnut tree. Those are, are something else. It's such a monstrosity, and you see it, and you're like, what? Uh, I would never want that tree to die because it is pretty magnificent. There's actually some serious grand champion trees. I think that might be... A, I think that might be on a tree registry, but they're yeah. the, the largest the largest giant sequoia in Oregon is next yeah, to right. a residential house in St. Helens. Huh. Huge, huge, unfathomably huge giant sequoia in the middle of this very small little section of I wonder how old that is. But I don't know. I'm not as old as you think it is. Probably not. My no. recent discovery, and this one has just really blown my mind. Outside of Phoenix, you can grow East Indian rosewood. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy I've been following down in Phoenix who's getting slabs of East Indian rosewood, like, like this, like as big as your, you know, feet, 30 inches across. Is it as, it does it have all of the merits of the? Yeah. No kidding. Oh, it's good. Wow. It's so freaking. I mean, I've been fighting the urge this entire, I discovered them, I think, like, early this spring and i've been fighting the urge to get a trailer and and go down to phoenix isn't it isn't it illegal to buy rosewood 
you, I, I think they pretty much banned the import of all Dalbergia, so all rosewood species, into this country. Last mm-hmm. I heard, that was the, and I know the guitar folks were in an uproar over it. Oh, so I don't know where it's at, but I know the CDs, they expanded it to all. Because East India, and they were plantation growing that and shipping that in quite a bit. That was kind of the go-to. Um, but I've heard that's been cut off now. Why? Um, Why if it was plantation grown? I guess the same reason, like, yeah, I guess it creates demand, you know? And, and it's like you get if there's a market, and all this stuff. Yeah, that, then I you guess, get the I piracy so. mm-hmm. and you get the yeah. good stuff. Black market. Yeah, there's rosewood trees, I think, in Thailand that have armed guard 24-7. Like old growth that they've actually had to set up armed guards at with machine guns to, to keep people from, from, you know, pirating, cutting down. That's crazy. I mean, but that's this guy's crazy. pulling out stuff that's as good as anything I've seen. Slabs, which you don't get because you can't import. Nobody one, you won't import the sapwood because nobody wants it. Two, you can't because there might be bugs. You can't import live edge on you know foreign woods. Yeah. Um. So you're getting the whole freaking thing sizes that I could never conceive of. You know, like I I was stoked. I found Gobi was uh, there was a guy on Salvi who imported a bunch of rosewood in the 70s. Yeah. And stored it in a barn, and then Gobi was consigning it for him. And there were timbers in there that, I mean, I got a, uh, basically it was probably like a four by 10 by 10 foot chunk of mm-hmm. rosewood. Four inches thick. Yeah. Four inches thick, 10 inches wide. This is massive beam. I mean, otherwise the best I can find currently imported is like four foot long, four by maybe two inches. Yeah. And, and that's huge. Yeah. And that's about the best you can hope for. Is rosewood really hard? Yeah. It's okay. really hard. But it's not obnoxious in that okay hard isn't necessarily a bad thing in wood sometimes like i like you can carve it if your tools are sharp and it holds an edge really nice because it's so hard so you can get crisp detail Mm -hmm. with it so i think it's kind of a dream in that respect you know you can really like when you're doing ornamental carving detail work it's like it's perfect you know you ever work with quince i have never i have never come across (laughs) i've never seen a quince of any real I've never seen anything in this country that you could take a saw to. In Japan, the tops of a lot of the tables are quince because yeah. quince is so hard. <laughs> and like that was like a a piece of knowledge that I had in my mind that I didn't in any way think any more of. And then uh, a, a client brought up a Chinese quince here that we've been working on. We've done some work on the live stream and and whatnot on it just to talk about the techniques that you apply to pseudocydonia. And one of the things about it is, is as the wood gets a little bit pithy, it stops rolling over the pithy wood. So you've got to take out the pithy wood and kind of doctor up the wound for it to continue closing. Okay. So I'm like this pithy wood. I'm like, Oh, no big deal. We're on the live stream. You know, I've got like a chisel and a hammer and I'm like trying to hammer it. And I'm like, God, this is freaking hot. This is supposed to be pithy wood. Right. And it's just really hard. And I'm hammering, I'm hammering. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So then I, I get out my, uh, my uh, reciprocating uh, gouge on the Fordham. And I dive into that on the reciprocating gouge and it's just chattering and chattering. And I ha- I was talking on the live stream and I wasn't paying close attention and I looked at both of the chisels and I mean, it completely destroyed, not like dents, not like chips. The chisel was no longer in existence. Like rounded down. No, there just wasn't a chisel anymore. It had broken. Wow. It had broken off all the edges, all of the cutting portions, all of the corners. There was no more chisel on either one of them. That's hard in a bad way. 
And, and that well, this is what I'm saying though. Where is the because tools will cut it. I, I have to believe, obviously, that there are methods and techniques to work with. I mean, I dove in, and I was just like, yeah. I'm just going to do this, thinking it's like a pine or something. I knew it was hard wood. This was supposed to be pithy. It did not work out that way. And I started thinking, because they are a massive tree. Pseudocydonia is a massive tree in the ground. I just wonder, why would nobody be planting that, working with that? I have no idea how, how where they max out at or what the the the... I would think it would grow here. I've never seen one. Have you seen one growing here? I've never, I've never seen one at, at a, in a full size scale ever. Yeah, there's got to be a reason for that. Yeah, but it has to be right. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be fun to find one. I would, I mean, I don't know. It's weird because uh, sometimes woods, like when they dry, they get a density to mm-hmm. them that they didn't really have when wet. Oh, interesting. And so maybe in that case, because you were coming at pithy, the surrounding wood could have been dead and cured. You yeah, know? yeah, and had that that kind of hardness, huh? Um, what would cause a wood to harden? The loss of water content causes I, yeah, it to harden. Yeah, I think it's, that has a lot. And to things do with tighten it. up a little bit, shrink. And I think I don't know something about the fibers. They go through some sort of metamorphosis when they cure. Mm. I mean, you know, it is becoming a different material than it is when it's water saturated. Mm-hmm. But I can I I know for a fact that you know milling a wet tree is one thing milling the same tree dry is is another thing you know like if you take a wet tree to a bandsaw mill you just tear through it like it's nothing and then once it cures that same attempt you're you're not getting the same kind of progress huh so as far as dealing with something like a quince if you were to come across one yeah you know fresh you might be able to actually get it someplace yeah possibly huh and then, I think it's very stable, though. I think that's why they use it for the tops of bonsai stands because those are very thin pieces of wood that have yeah. support underneath them. But well, the density too will probably help with the thinness. Like you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Harder wood makes sense. Thinner. But maybe it is milled when it's. I wet. mean, that's the other thing with rosewood. I can get away with delicacy in rosewood. I'm not going to attempt in like walnut even. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. certainly not anything like a like a softwood. What would it take to to veneer that rosewood? Is that because the original Eames chairs were veneered rosewood? I mean, it'd be like veneering anything else. So is there a hardness of wood that you can't veneer because it's so hard? As far as negotiating the curves? Uh, well, I mean, you're taking off a very thin slice of it, which is guillotined, I'm assuming. Or Well, it depends. Yeah, I mean, manufactured is guillotined. Okay. And then, but they, they will take the log, throw it in a hot water bath, and then they guillotine. So they soften it. Yeah. So okay. they're softening. They're wetting it. They're warming it, and then they're slicing it. They're not going at it. Not going at cold, yeah, cold dry wood. No, that doesn't really work <laughs> like that. And then it's like pressure too, because they got like uh, a piece that comes in and like pushes down on the wood, and then the slicer comes in after that. And if you take that pressure bar off, it just doesn't work anymore. Tears. Does it tear instead? Yeah, it yeah. just tears. Makes where sense. That pressure bar gets you that smooth. And even so, there's like microscopic little fractures along there, but they just become complete without that pressure bar. But then you can bandsaw a veneer, and you're not getting this. You're, it's, it's thicker. But, I mean, I do a lot of that in the shop. Yeah. And, you know, I can bandsaw off pieces of, you know, rosewood with a sharp blade, and it's not that big a deal interesting god there's so much to know about wood it's it's expansive it's an expansive amount of knowledge yeah and when it crosses oh i mean when you you pick it up when it is living you know and there's an infinite amount of information there 
Yeah. A lot I of love that it. I'm in the dark of. I love, I love it. I love it. I love I love I love that my house is built out of out of trees that were dropped on site. I like I, I really connect with that. And is that whole thing constructed out of the entire structure is con- is constructed out of dug fir and cedar that was cut and dropped on site and milled on site. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty special. It's freaking awesome. And when For 69, I, that's unusual. When I bought it, when I bought it, everybody's like, it's a teardown. And I was like, I, I don't see it as a teardown in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I see it as like, how can I preserve this? Because this is the original siding that was cut on site. Uh, and that was when, you know, just going through, like, going through a whole period of like rehydration and yeah. conditioning of the wood. It was in pretty bad shape. You said when you, it was, it. it was a tear down for yeah. sure. It wasn't yeah. loved. It was not loved. It was, I fell straight through the deck the first yeah, time I, I came up here. Damn near broke my ankle. Yeah. That's yeah. always a seller. Yeah. I'm sure your realtor was just, <laughs> I got to lock that one in. I might, I might be about at the end of I was his, his patience. We, 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 we've done, we've done really well. I know, I'm impressed. We've I, done I mean, really like, well, but he is definitely saying, "Yo, Dad." You know, this whole thing is really taking a dive on our daycare, obviously. And you know, we've been alternating days watching Coop, and you try and figure out little ways you can get a couple hours of work yeah. in on a day when you're, you know, stay home dad. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can set them down in front of the TV for so long and it works great. Yeah. But there comes that point when it's just like nothing, nothing works anymore and it's over. (laughs) Peter Warren and I have been talking about it because Peter's watching his son, his wife just recently went uh, back to work or work somehow aligned for her to be able to, to perform work. And, uh, and he was just like, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I'm a daddy daycare now. You yeah. know, my bonsai professional days are behind me <laughs> because I'm back to me and daddy daycare. And it's, it, feels it like just that is, man. Someday. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's just like, you know, he'll be trooping around the garage with me. And, you know, I'm just like, well, you know, put shoes on and, you know, we won't <laughs> step on anything. Don't eat it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't touch it. You know, it's like I put finish on two hours ago. I don't think it's going to kill too many of your brain cells at this point. Right. Like, Right. Uh, you know, you might have to repeat the third grade now. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that's a key. Two years, you'll, yeah. you'll just remember it better. I know. You'll still have a home then, you know? Right. Like, right. But yeah, there's been a number of moments where it's like, God, he's getting into going into the studio right now is the big thing. Like, he loves going to the, sh- and you don't get a whole lot done when he's at the shop, but yeah. He is super into that. That's almost a treat right now. Is I mean, it's a pretty. The studio's a pretty cool place. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, if I mean, you're, if you're a little kid, like this is a wonderland of oh, things yeah. to look at and touch and play with. And he's got his own little kit there of like just a bunch of Ashley's like show paraphernalia, a bunch of blocks, some bungee cords, and, nice and stuff, and PVC pipes. And he so just, he's making stuff. He's yeah. He's in. He's like I'm. I'm on a. I have a show. I'm going to my show. This is my show, and sets it all up. Like what a trained. cool existence for for a kid to grow up with two parents that are artists. That's freaking awesome. He's he's different for it. I'll give him that. You well, good on him, man. <laughs> he'll either you know he'll either dive in feet, head, everything, or or he'll go be a doctor, or something. Yeah, you know? be like I, I saw yeah. my parents try to make a living doing yeah. art. He'll be an investment and, banker, or he'll uh, just, yeah financial, yeah. or he'll be so hardcore we won't even like be able to like comprehend. You know? Yeah. We're like, yeah, that's our son. We're like, we don't know where he got it, you know. Like, he's out there. Yeah, we haven't been able to talk with him in a long time yeah. and understand what's going on. <laughs> he just got too arty for even us. <laughs> yeah. 
He's officially too arty for even yeah, us. There you go. Push the boundary. <laughs> what did we do to our kid? Oh, uh, uh, good stuff. Well, it was good to talk to you, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming up. And yeah. I think uh I really hope I, I'm really looking forward to how these experimentations in the evolving stands that you're making and the evolving pieces that have a relationship with the tree and the ceramic on a more continual basis i'm excited for it'll this. be interesting to see where all that goes i mean yeah. that's the one upside to all this is as far as like experimentation goes this time is about as ripe as you're gonna get for it you know if everybody has to push pause at once it's not like you're f- it, it, it has a different connotation than trying to extricate yourself from the rapid pace of, yeah. of the moving world exactly. right exactly there not, is there's like that's like an interesting thing for everybody a, to have had to shut down there's time for it and then also trying to negotiate just like redefining how your business operates and where income is coming from and how that all it's just yeah. like well i'm willing to try anything at this point why not you know it's why like not it's, try yeah it's all new and you know every door i'm gonna open all i can you know and try and figure out what's gonna work going yep. forwards in in what where it all leads yep. you know so you know next year later this year there's going to be a different scene as far you know not worldwise i don't even want to go there but yeah. just artistically where people are i think is going to be absolutely people are going to make jumps that i don't think they would have made being f- otherwise being, being forced into that is a weird a weird little it's a multi-step process there's like and there's anger, acceptance, acceptance it, denial there's loss, yeah you go through sadness like, we all went i mean me and ash both went through it hardcore yeah you know especially yeah. early days when shows were dropping like flies and all that like we had our days and we would alternate which i guess worked you know i'd have an angry day then she'd have an angry day and then you'd have a sad day you know and like but i it was just like clinical almost you could just break down that process yeah you know yeah the steps of grieving yeah and then you're all settled in acceptance but then you can grow out of that once you get to the acceptance part then you can be like okay well i'm not gonna change it yeah what am i gonna do what am i gonna do now (laughs) like you know like the the risk seems to be gone now like you can't fail because it's already all failed yeah like so you're free now to do it just just upwards yeah whatever you want to do it doesn't matter you know the whole situation's fucked so i i I throw caution to the wind I mean, Cooper and I were talking about this a little bit last night, but I wonder how different Portland's going to be because the culinary scene and all, all, all been, of that was that such a staple. Been, it was know. such a cultural staple of the city. The one thing that really gives me hope in that is the only people right now I know who are doing great are all the waiters and bartenders that got laid off a week before it really hit the fan because their owners saw it coming. And they're all on unemployment right now, and they're just rolling, having a great, you know, like, with the 600 extra on top of that, they're paying off credit card bills, and they're the only people I know who are just, like, sitting high and, and feeling good. Um, huh. So I don't know about the business owners. You know, we yeah. have a guy, uh, the DIY bar, he rents space from us at the shop. And they're hanging out. They're, you know, they're exploring new avenues and they got a little bit of uh, assistance and in, in early on and involved mm-hmm. and, and they're doing fine, but they were like expanding into Seattle and that is all God only Shut knows all at this point. They're yeah. not going forward. They're not stopping. They're just kind of in this middle weird zone where they're like, we don't want to invest a bunch of money to build out a space we can't open. 
But the landlord doesn't want to just sit on an empty property forever. Yeah. But then what's he going to do with it if they don't take it? You know, how are you going to show it? Like, yeah. So everybody's kind of in this weird stall. Yep. Um, but they're not sweating bullets, which gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah. Because, yeah. But you would expect that, you know, restaurants going to get obliterated through all this. I, I can't imagine. Well, and so many of them have just permanently shut down already, which was, which is really... I don't know what it's like to own a restaurant, so I have no idea, but to just be like, okay, peace out. Yeah, I know. Seems very odd to me. That's hard. That I, seem, it just seems odd that you'd be like, we're going to close down, cover costs, or maybe we'll come back. or And they're just like, you know, nah. Yeah, I know. Shut her down. And that feels like something different than maybe the maybe the uh, establishments that gave Portland its culinary face. The ones that capitalized on the culinary aspect, and I'm sure the food was good and the and the service was impeccable and all things were incredible, but when they're just like, I don't know, shut her down. We'll call it good. We'll go do something else. Invest our money some other way. We'll find a better return or something. I, I, that, that just seemed like a weird vibe to me, but I'm not, obviously I'm not in their shoes and I have no idea what that's like. I mean, it's a pretty steep mountain to look at. I can see how it would be kind of like, holy cow, they want me to climb that. Yeah, maybe. You know, like yeah, I mean, even looking out at it, I'm just like, oh god, like this 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 trail is pretty intense, you know. Yeah. And there's not a Manhattan at the end of it. One day at a time. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad I don't own a restaurant right now. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad I don't own a restaurant. Period. Not yeah, even just I know. now, but now especially, but owning a restaurant, not not yeah. a, not a, never a safe I business option. Never did any food service <laughs> in my anything you didn't never never no not high school nothing never got into that and i don't feel like i missed anything i love i see i loved i loved working at restaurants i see i never even comprehended the the logic of it like i never even got there like the whole prepping thing it all was just completely foreign to me what do you mean the whole prepping thing of like food and stuff yeah like getting the food prepped in the morning like you ever, like cook at your house and have to chop up vegetables yeah that's but like i basically need... on a large scale it's exactly what it is. and that's the i never made it's like if i need an onion chop for a dish that i'm making right now i chop the onion uh -huh. but the idea of like i'm going to need 15 onions chopped today how do i know i need 15 why I am i more, chopping 15 like I think it's more like like 200 well, yeah. onions the chopped thing, is like yeah. the prep and, thing. And that always seems so mysterious to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I feel Like that. kind of unnecessary. It was just like the whole process of it. I just really but never. But you have to turn. Uh, this is why it's not realistic because even in all the phases, unless they're at full capacity, you got to turn over tables to make a living. And and if you don't, if you can't, it still costs you the same amount, you know? I so know. It's well, like, that's where this whole hell's bells reopen thing makes no sense it's kind of like it's weird yeah it's yeah, like it we're gonna weird. force you to reopen but as a restaurant at we're gonna force you to reopen in a failing circumstance yeah exactly it's like you're not open you're open but you're not open so why pretend yeah you know like yeah. let's be real about the situation we can dream but the reality is numbers matter yeah you know and no matter how much you want whatever it's not realistic yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I hope things go well. As as the phases happen, I hope things just continue to go well. You me too. Mm -hmm. I think some places will do better than others. Uh-huh. Um, I, I watched the map, and I love our little, 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 little dot next to all the, you know, how they have that. Have you seen the maps with the dots for cases? No. They got the U.S. and you know kind of like when they have i literally do not look at 
media. You were literally in so much a better place for That's that. That's what I'm saying. I it's I, it's not not going anywhere positive for me. Yeah. I try not to be ignorant. I'll look at it. I'll read an article a day. I'll read an article a day about something in the news. But I I was unaware of the lady who was walking her dog in Central Park and oh was yelling God. at some bird watcher. You're... I just heard about that last night from yeah. a friend. That was I was I did not realize that Minneapolis was, was in such a state. Yeah, there's that too. I, I That's... it's. You're so, I mean, not a lot of positivity out there, man. It's just, it's not making you feel humanity's got much to offer. You got to stay on the up and up. Because yeah, like, no, it's, it's definitely like, it's affecting my, my work in the shop. Like I am all thumbs these days. Cause I'll get into these, I'll read the news in the morning and it'll piss me off about something, you know, and then I'll spend the day going, Jesus, you know, going over in your head. That's yeah. stupid. Like, I can't believe they, oh my God, you know? And you lose focus on what you're doing and you break. I mean, I've just like, I'm tripping over things. I'm bumping into things. Yeah. I mean, I'm like the ultimate klutz. Not good. And it's driving me nuts. And I just, yeah. And it's just like, you you know, I I put on the music and it helps because I can lose myself in the song. Yeah. And then I forget how much I hate X, you know? Yep. Um, But yeah. (laughs) How much I hate X. X. Professor X. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're keeping this not polite. This is an inclusive conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you that. Know? I appreciate I, I that. Could go keep down. politics yeah. out. Of it. Ryan's, we, we Ryan cut, stays willfully ignorant. We could cut half your audience out right now, yeah. but we're not, and we're not even going to say which half we're cutting out. So. It doesn't. Honestly, nobody even knows. It, there's not even a straight scoop in the media, so there's no reason to. Anyway, uh, let's not go here. We're not. It, this was too good of a conversation. It's been great. To catch up. We're going to skip that stone over the pond. I'm not even going to. Onto the shore. not even going to entertain it. Let's keep it on the up and up. No, it's good. Yeah. it is good to have you out, though, man. But it's the music. Stick to the music. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of music yeah. at this point in time. Super tired of Netflix at yeah. this point in time. There's not much more Netflix can do. No, Netflix really dropped off. I did discover Amazon Prime mm. is a source for the driest, most beautiful documentaries. Oh, like early days Discovery Channel, oh, you know, authentic shit right like there. High school class, uh-huh. like not an ounce of entertainment, just the, you know, just the pathetic facts. I gotta give Ron Lang a shout out because I've been he, in a hole with that. He gave me, he sent me a box set of the history of jazz. Oh, and it's narrated by Ken Burns. Is it that is the Ken ten, Burns jazz? It is ten episodes, ten DVDs. That man can craft a documentary like nobody's business. Man, I made it through 10 minutes of it. Oh, really? Yeah, no. I was just like, nope. Oh. Nope, I can't do it. I can't do it, Ron. I'm sorry. I tried. Oh. I really tried. I did the Ken Burns, uh, um, Frank Lloyd Wright Jr. documentary. Cool. Was into it. If I didn't think, if I hadn't seen Falling Water, couldn't have given two craps. Yeah. Because they are that old school, super dry, content rich, yeah. educational doc style. That give it to me. And yeah, you're into it, give huh? It to you me. love it. Oh yeah. yeah you, you can love take it. all this. That's like, like Werner Herzog's gold. documentaries. Oh man, Werner, he's a genius. Oh, he's not. They're <laughs> atrocious. Those are the it. worst. Little Dieter needs to fly or whatever. Oh no. Oh, the <sighs> guy's a nut job. It's so, it's so, it's so very just like Oh, he's great. Can't hang. I didn't think Germany had it in it, but apparently they did. (laughs) You know, one thing he does do is he finds crazy-ass people. Some guy hanging with grizzly bears, people walking in volcanoes and shit. More power to you, Werner. He's got the guy, Little Dieter needs needs to fly or whatever that's called. 
I mean, he's got the original guy who was captive in Vietnam in the prison running through the Vietnam jungle with locals reenacting his captors, you know, basically just reliving this trauma, you know. <laughs> Putting him through it Putting again. Putting him through it. As only Werner Herzog can, oh. too, you know. And it's just brilliant, you know. It's just like he is so good at being a nut job. I want somebody to do a documentary on Werner Herzog. I would love Warner Herzog to do a documentary on Warner. <laughs> no, because then it would suck. <laughs> then it would be oh. unwatchable. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> I don't know. I got on him when I was in Philly. There's a movie he did where they like the Spanish I, scale a mountain with their boats or something. Yeah. That was just ridiculous. I feel like you, do you enjoy Monty Python? Mm-hmm. I okay. grew up on See, that. So I feel like that. I feel like somebody yeah. who would enjoy Monty Python would also enjoy Werner Herzog yeah, documentaries. I feel like it comes out of that. Are you a Monty Python guy? I don't see how you can't be, but, you know. I, I can tell you how you can't be because it's not funny. It's funny. Okay, it's, I'll tell you. It's absolutely okay. not funny. It's the most, that's the most ridiculous shit I've ever seen in my life. And what's wrong with that? Okay, number it, one. It's so ridiculous, it's not funny yeah. anymore. Flying Circus is, is, is the gateway on that, I think. <laughs> you know, like everybody talks about meaning of life and all that shit. The Flying Circus skits are are fucking brilliant. I think that is a well-crafted, like, I mean, they they start in the same place they stop. It's like a Simpsons episode before a Simpsons episode. It all tangles up into itself and get, takes you someplace new. And then Life of Brian, I think, as far as the movies go, that's the triumph. Life of Brian. I, Life I, just of Brian. Can't, I can't hang, man. I've, I've, I've done it. I've done it. It was painful. The whole uh, thing was painful. It was it was horrifically painful do wow. you ever watch a, a show back in the day called the red green show no i don't you've never seen the red no. green show look that up on youtube see okay. if you can find some episodes of the red green show tell me what you think about that red green show mm-hmm. okay i'll look into that that's some have you do you know red green show cooper oh wow okay yeah. well enjoy that that's a little okay. gift i'm gonna leave you with we all if you like Mo- if you like monty python red green show is gonna scratch an itch right there all right yeah yeah because the monty python i mean i've seen it all Ugh. it scratched it never gets old Ugh. I grew up over. I mean, my best best friend was from Australia. He got me hooked on all that stuff young. Yeah. It's in the blood. (laughs) You know? (laughs) When I was in. When I was in Japan, Mr. Kimura used to always, and it's it's like an ongoing joke, but it was particularly funny that Mr. Kimura used to say, Australia, a little bit of a suspect place. That's where they sent all of the criminals. (laughs) That's where they sent all the criminals. (laughs) He used to say that all the time. <laughs> Even though the coolest people by far that came to visit were the Australians, for sure. But they're all a little off. Yeah, they're off in a radical way, though. Well, they, being off's not a bad thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Nobody, you don't have any fun with people who are on and off. Yeah, I enjoy Australia. It's an interesting place. I enjoy Australia. It's a very a interesting place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. It's been a long time. When was the last time you were there? When I was in Indonesia. Oh, okay, long time. Ninety. Two, maybe three. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, all of that, China. I mean, I was in China in, like, 92, 93. I think about Australia having gone through the brush fires, and then now, and then the coronavirus oh, falling right up. Eesh. That's Yeah, they got the it. World, the world news doesn't talk about that kind of stuff. So, all oh, these massive fires, and everybody's displaced, and so much was lost, and then all of a sudden, next week, it's gone. They don't talk about it again, but that was, cat- that was worldwide yeah. catastrophic I mean, I heard about right it there. all the time when it was happening. And being now in the Northwest, I can relate. I mean, had I not lived here, that would have meant nothing to me. But having been in terms here, of fire season, yeah. Like, what, when when did the when did the gorge burn? Was that two years ago? Three years two ago? Two or 
or three. Like, yeah, last year we got off scot-free, which was amazing. And uh, this, this I year. feel like it would have been three because I feel like last year we got off. The year before that was, oh, uh, eh, you know, not great, but not terrible. And I think maybe the year before that was the gorge. That was, I mean, that was the year that was. That just, was ugly. That was bad. They're, they're calling for the hottest, one of the hotter summers on record. This and year. that's, well, it's not. The, uh, the, I I fear this will be a bad fire season yeah, just because so it just everything seems to be that's the way things are going these days. Like this year, twenty twenty is like if it's going to happen. It's going to be 2020. Um, so when's the last year? When's the last year that you can remember where you were like, "That was the best year that I can remember in a long time." <laughs> it's mm, isn't it's that hard? To isn't that interesting? That getting political. <laughs> isn't that interesting? Uh, okay, well uh, then we'll dodge that. We're just gonna go right around that. Yeah. I, my uh, my familiarity or viewpoint of of positivity in years directly relates to weather and how the trees respond to I it. I can imagine it's such a I mean, such I look, a psychotic way to view the. I look the back world. on my college days, and those were absolutely blissful. Uh-huh. I think yeah. you know, yeah, lack like, of responsibility and accountability. Yeah, like there yeah. was a, a certain glee to mm-hmm. that. Um, that was the calm before the storm of yeah, adulthood. Where it just did it. I mean, that, that year. Just got it, crapped on. Yeah. <laughs> and everything went downhill. And, yeah, it got real. It got real. You know, the time you had its ups and downs, but you look back on it, you're like, damn, that was all real good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, coming back from Japan was such a culture shock just because I, of yeah. a, it, was, I, it was like leaving college, but I had put it off by close to seven years. And so all of a sudden I came back and I'm, almost 30 and i'm at the level of economic maturity and understanding of the systems that govern us in the united states taxes and paperwork and insurance and all of all of that stuff just was like a tidal wave when i came back from japan it absolutely obliterated me and it was depressing being a freshman in high school coming back from indonesia you know, not having lived in America since I was in first grade. And it was the same thing, you know, like go to the store and then like you're, you're going to buy something. And, and then all of a sudden it's more, you know, and you were like all got your change right. You're right. And it was just like, well, where's this extra? Like, I didn't even know what a tax was. Like, yeah, right. It yep. was all like, I had no. Yeah. Clue. Interesting. I had no. And, and then like media didn't make it over. Uh huh. You know, like I was watching Airwolf and the Incredible Hulk from the 70s you know, in the nineties mm-hmm. and it was just like living. Co- I didn't know living color existed until years after the fact. I'm sorry. What in living color though? Oh, okay. I, I, th- I thought you, I thought you said in living color, but it came out as living cutler. Oh, at least that's what I heard. And I was like, I think you're talking about in living color, yeah. which I also found after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. In living color. This is Jim Carrey's kind of big. Was he part of that? In Living Color? I thought I, all I all I remember about I mean I don't remember any of it, but I just remember the dancers is like my only awareness. In Living Color, we're talking about the Wayans brothers. We're talking about Jim Carrey. We're yeah, talk, I'm sure we're, there was more to it than just some dancers, but all I remember is the oh, dancers. Okay. In Living Color, yeah, absolutely. That was, like that, was that was pre set. Well, that was their Saturday Night Live was happening, but In Living Color was yeah. I think edgier comedy at I'm that still time. Never seen an actual In Living Color episode. Oh, just Fire Marshal Bill? Oh, my gosh. No, I mean, like, <sighs> I'm aware of the thing, but I've never experienced it, except for the dancers. I think Jamie Foxx 
is one of the more brilliant comedians, and I think one of the pinnacles of his career was in Living Color. Would have to be, because certainly isn't now. Tawanda. Tawanda. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I used to watch In Living Color every single night when I would come home from bussing tables at the really? Italian Underground. Yeah, when I was in high school. Well, that was formative there between the two of those. Huh? Oh, my God. I built on Italian food, garlic butter, and In Living Color comedy at midnight. There you are. Fantastic. Yeah. Sign me up. That's that's right. Life was good. in a nutshell right there. I, I was very, very happy. Summers of high school, I was super content. That sounds pretty blissful. I got fed before work and after work, played a little basketball before going to work, came home, watched a little comedy on TV, and went to bed. Did it the next day, every single day of summer. Yeah. Very, very rarely did I have a day off. Sounds great. It was. Sign me up. It was awesome. Made a ton of money. Loved where I worked, loved the food, loved my life. It was just awesome. It was awesome. Everybody's tuning in to hear professionals bitch about their... (laughs) Yeah, and reminisce about comedy shows that don't exist and probably don't hold a lot of of quality in this point in time, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that stacks up in uh, the modern era. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You certainly don't see the reruns on anything anymore, so... But I don't see a lot of anything, so... Yeah, I don't even have a TV, so... Yeah. That's where we're at now. I think most of us are there. Let's call it at that. Yeah, I think that's the. <laughs> oh, Austin, leave come back anytime, one. man. We should do this more often. Yeah, yeah, we should. Why don't we? Because we've got kids in a life, and yeah, we're trying to make a basically, living. Basically, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It all makes sense when you look at it that way. Uh, can't wait to see all the new work, though. And I'm excited yeah. that that stand is here. We'll get it photographed and put it out into the world. Yeah, that's a cool one. I can't wait to see the shots of it. Yeah, there's yeah, some we'll... cool shit coming. So good. There's some good stuff in the pike. Yes. Hopefully it will be revealed. That will be the greatest, uh, yes. the greatest, uh, what's the word? Well, the biggest disappointment, if the national does not go off, there's some really cool shit that people are going to have to wait to <laughs> are not, see. Are not going to get to see. Yeah. Uh, like, I really want to show it. And it's just like, I, it's just like, I need it. You know, like I want to show, I want this to be public and out in there. And if it doesn't, then people are going to have to wait a year and I'm just going to have to sit on it and I'm going to have to know. You're probably going to throw it away or do something different. Well, it's not, yeah, well, there may be that, but it's just like, you know, I, I get to know, but but nobody else gets to know. And I got to sit there and know that. And I can't say or anything, you know, and it's like to not be able to be like, this is cool. You know, look at this. What do you think? Yeah. You know, just see like, it's like, I know that Christmas exists and nobody else does. And I can't tell anybody. Right. Yeah. Santa Claus is coming. Yeah. He's coming. And (sighs) I've I've seen him and I know what's in his sled and it's awesome. And God, I hope he gets here, you know, because I want everybody else to see it too. Santa Claus of the Boneside World about ready to drop some weatherproof stands on you. I know. He's about like 18 inches tall. Hauling out. uh, 18 inches tall. But that 80-pound concrete stand is nothing for him to lift, so... He, he can get that up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not much else these days. Yes, uh, national show. Fingers crossed. I Put know. positivity into the world. You can do it, Bill. Let's, let's will it. Let's will yeah. it to happen. Yeah. If anybody could get it done, Bill Valvanis is the guy. I know. Yeah. That's, that, that, is, that is one very confidence-building, encouraging aspect of the national show is if somebody's going to get it done, Bill is going to get it done. Yeah. So I, with that, Bill, we got your back. We'll be there. Let's we'll make it there. happen. You do it. Let's I'll make be it there. happen. We got some serious Santa You're Claus moments. You're not going to refund my booth you if you do it, so I'll be there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Driving cross-country, uh, but I'll be there. Bell's on. 
I dream about that trip right now. Oh, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Just free the freedom, getting being out again. Yeah. I've driven across the country. This will be the 10th or 11th trip this time. It just tears my back up. Yeah, yeah. If I didn't do that, I'd be all over. Yeah, yeah. But it is to a degree of torture for me. That sucks. So That sucks. I think once you cross the Rockies and get into the eastern plains and midwestern states, there's a certain amount of soul searching that happens in that portion you of the country. Yourself, yeah. you, you have lost all other visual stimulation and any degree of interest and entertainment in the landscape outside of just the changing contour and light, which is beautiful in its own right. But that's really where you kind of dig deep personally. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what am I doing with my life? It breaks right you down now. and then you it build yourself you back up again. It breaks the you other down. Side. So that's yeah, a good way. I can see that. I mean, we did it driving out here. And yeah, the middle grows long. But there's a lot of cool shit on the way. The, the, the North America is pretty red continent. Yeah, I love it. Pretty red continent. It's great from the ground. Yep. You know? Yep. So one thing I'm excited about, I don't have to get on an airplane anytime soon. And I'm fine with that. I don't think I'll be flying anytime soon either. Yeah. yeah. And I am okay with that as well. Oh, God, I'm okay with that. More more just for the the awkwardness of everybody trying to avoid each other in an unavoidable situation. I don't want to see what that's like. Not in this day and age. No, I don't I'm I'm not interested in I was in on it. an airplane May 18th and I can tell you from that experience it's not any better now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't like flying on the best day. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't take a coronavirus to talk me out of an airplane. <laughs> I'm just using the excuse. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> This is exactly why I shouldn't be flying. Yeah, you know? So you can't force me on one now. I got a bulletproof excuse. Well, so we'll see Austin driving across the country. Yeah, you will. I'll meet you at I'll meet, I'll meet we'll, you at Love's. We'll race. Yeah, I'll meet you at Love's. Maybe we could swap vehicles occasionally. The fact that up. my favorite stop is a trucker stop called Love's that's summarizes a, the entire trip. That's a lot about you. It does. It really does. <laughs> and I feel that love every time I stop. At Love's? Yeah. Choose your journey, man. Yeah. Going across the country. <laughs> All right, Austin. Okay. It's been real. Yeah.